Welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast, week before Memorial Day. Can you believe it? Uh, we're already done with the month of May. Nathan Stacken here alongside my good friend and co-host, sports director at KORN Radio there in Mitchell, South Dakota, none other than Travis Krenz. Travis, how are we doing? Good. Getting hot out. We can feel the humidity starting to, starting to tick up. Mm-hmm. I will say this last, I don't know, maybe not quite a month. I would say last three weeks, the weather has been good. I would say this is the best maybe three weeks of weather all year. We got to that point where, you know, it wasn't cold in the mornings anymore, where it's mm-hmm. in the 50s or 60 degrees at night. And it was It's really, really nice. It was just unbelievable. It wasn't windy for once. You know, it's about three good weeks of weather before it's either windy, cold, snowing, humid as hell. So we're in that transition part where... We're in the sweet spot. Well, yeah, sweet spot. Once you get to Memorial Day, all bets are off. Then it's just, you know, four straight months of what I consider to be the the worst weather of the year. Oh, yes. Yep. And, I mean, we need rain up here. It's not raining. We're supposed to be like 89 on Monday. It's going to be gross. Like, stop. We need... We need some rain. We need some thunderstorms. And they, we had a shot at like thunderstorms three straight days last week, and they took it all away. Um, so it felt like there a few weeks ago or a month ago, it was like every night down south there was a tornado. Yeah, it was like it was almost like you know, all the, we're watching this baseball game this night, we're watching this basketball game this night. Uh, oh, the Weather Channel, they've got covered with a big storm tonight because you knew it was coming, and. Things are kind of dissipated a little bit, but it felt like every night there was a oh the south going to get hit with some sort of a huge tornado here tonight. Mm-hmm. And it does sound like uh, we're kind of in an El Nino pattern here for this summer, so it's going to be near average or above, slightly above average temperatures. Uh, could also mean drier conditions, so that wouldn't be very good. Maybe that extends into the winter. For the uh, plains in the upper Midwest, that wouldn't be good. We we need some we need some precipitation here. They just I felt like they came up with the El Nino like twenty years ago. Yeah, maybe. Like when did they? When did El Nino? When did I felt like it never? Like twenty years ago, it's like oh yeah, here's here's what this means. El Nino, El Nino. Here's this. Here's that. I felt like I, I never heard of it in the nineties. Well, let, let's take a look at when, uh, let me uh, pull up the old Google machine here. When did they come up with El Nino? They first, the South American fishermen first noticed periods of warm water in the Pacific Ocean in the 1600s. The full name was El Nino something. I never heard of it till. gosh, Christ, 20 years ago. I never heard the weather guys say, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's an El Nino this year. Yeah. Um, the human history of El Nino. I feel like it's probably, yeah, the full name they used was El Nino de Navidad, so right around Christmas, uh, peaked around <laughs> November and Christmas. Um, I feel like, you know, with uh, with global warming, we're, we're hearing more about these El Ninos, La Ninas, um, the, these atm- atmospheric rivers that are 
Um, you know, they've hit California a couple of times here over the winter. You're hearing more of these. You're hearing more of these terms, and I would guess it's because of climate change. I would, I would assume so. Yes. So there's our weather to start the podcast this week. Early, early '97. Is that what? what it, why? Why is it called El Nino, and how did scientists figure out what it is? Was it early in '97? Whatever. Who knows? But it feels like, yeah, growing up, I did not hear about the El Nino until. Maybe we were in a La Nina pattern for winter of what, 97, 98? That was a bad one, yeah. That was great. It's, we got so many days off of school, except then we had to go into school late, into yeah. like middle of June almost. Right. Um, that was fun. That was a lot of fun growing up as a kid. Kids these days don't get that because you have, you know you can do um, e-learning days and stuff. Though they do throw in some snow days every once in a while because that's part of being a kid and growing up. Like how can you concentrate when there's a big snowstorm out and you'd rather play outside? So there you go. Um, speaking of storms, uh, it really has not, no transition here. But uh, the Minnesota Twins. I think there's a storm of controversy perhaps that's swirling around this team after last week. Uh, particularly the series against the Dodgers. Monday night, um, two of the worst calls I think you'll ever see. A foul ball that was called fair down the first baseline that resulted in a run being scored by the Dodgers. And then the the strike zone that this ump called, it was just atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. Um... You know, and then, you know, the, the the Twins' bullpen didn't help matters in Game 3. They had some struggle. They, there were some bad uh, strike zone calls against the Angels, too. So the Twins go 2-4 and four on their L.A. area uh, West Coast trip. Wasn't great, but certainly, I think, uh, umpiring kind of stole a bunch of headlines for sure uh, in that first game against the Dodgers. Yeah, I usually could have won that game, won extra innings, long game. This team can't hit. They can't fucking score runs. So fucking frustrating. Trevor Lawrence just placed on the injured list with pneumonia. Jesus yep. Christ. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even hitting anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. A game, that game went 9-8. to eight. They lose when to go 12 innings. So, yeah, hopefully in the next five years, baseball's got an automated ball strike system. And, of course, uh, fair foul, that's not reviewable because that's too fucking easy to do. So, yeah, it seems like that always happens to the Twins. Now, that that fair foul ball, I kind of see, like, does it clip the first base initially? But it, it it's still foul. Like, it... I, I can... saw, I saw, like, use what tennis does. I, 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 I don't know why tennis is not that... Yeah, I mean, I, I think I saw something similar to that technology. Oh, so, yeah, you can trace the ball. Where did the ball bounce? It bounced right here. How can they do it in tennis? They can't do it in the majors. I, like, we're so far behind, I think. Like, the, put a chip in the football to figure out where it went out of bounds. Did it hit the first, uh, first down marker? We shouldn't be guessing when it comes to football because we, we have no idea. Mm-hmm. And we just go, well, maybe, maybe it's fair, maybe it's foul. Like, the, we're, we're so far beyond just the human element of sports, for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. That it's ridiculous. 
Twins also seem to be battling some injuries. You mentioned Trevor Larnick that uh, he's out with pneumonia. Um, there's a, a lot of guys in this lineup that I, you know, like this Willie Castro or whatever, uh, struck out three times Monday night against the Giants. Um, in addition to the fact that they can't hit, they don't have what appears to be their regularly, like, their, their opening day lineup here. And that can't help matters either when it comes to trying to manufacture runs. Uh, I thought they did okay against the Dodgers overall. Um... But still, it's it's not where it needs to be by any stretch. I mean, their lineup just sucks. Like, what, Polanco's on the DL. Yeah, yeah. He had a good stretch. Kepler sucks, so he's out. And Larnick wasn't very good. So, with or without those guys, I mean, they can't. They can't score. Correa's still hitting 200. Buxton hurt his leg. He was back last night. He only missed a game. So... Uh, Royce Lewis is, is killing it in double A and I was in triple A. He can be called up here, I think, uh, next week, middle of next week by June. I would call him up immediately. Mm-hmm. Coming off that torn ACL last year, and he'll be up hopefully sooner than I thought. I thought maybe at the end of the All-Star break, but this team needs some offense because the starting pitching continues to be too good. The bullpen now is awful and terrible and sucks. But you got to score some runs because even last night, Bailey Over looked like he was going to get pulled in the first inning mm-hmm. with the four runs, and then he goes five. Probably should have won another inning. He was only like 76 pitches, and like half of those were in the first inning. Mm-hmm. He's doing fine now. Keep him going. But So I hate the manager. I think my Archibald Belly sucks. I'm making decisions when it comes to the bullpen. Johan Duran, you heard of Johan Duran, the great – uh, yes. The great ball throwing Johan Duran. Yes. Throws it, uh, throws it a thousand miles an hour. Let's let's check in on Mr. Duran here, who has barely gotten up the last three fucking weeks. Well, can we can can we get rid of Emilio Pagan? Uh, he's just oh. awful. I think I saw. Um, oh boy. Um, he's a uh, Aaron Gleeman. Uh, I think put this out last week that that like uh, Pagan is responsible for four losses essentially out of the bullpen this year is how bad he is. It's or like, there's some sort of there's metric or statistic that measures it and says Pagan's got like four losses over everyone else. I mean, how is this guy still got a job? Get rid of him. This bullpen, as you said, it's terrible, but it's just so, I don't know if it's terrible. It's just so mismanaged. I hate Pagan. I hate him. Ever yes. since they traded for him last year. Mm-hmm. He had a good stretch there where he went like, we had like 10 or 12, 13 straight outings without giving up a run. And then it all blew up against the Dodgers Wednesday night. Gave up a walk and then a three-run home run, and that was that game. And I... I they... they, they Probably people were calling to trade for him in the offseason. I said, no. Like, I would have just cut him outright. I don't want to get off my team. Yeah, a bag of beans would be better than him. And Griffin Jacks has been terrible. I think Griffin Jacks has, he's, he's got six losses now in the year. Mm-hmm. He's been terrible. He's kind of like their number three guy. You got Duran and Jorge Lopez and 
they've given Griffin Jackson seven inning plenty of times, and he has not been good this year. So the bullpen's not good. Uh, this team is not. I still think they win the division because the division sucks. I feel like at the end of the season, like you could probably win eighty games and win this division. You could probably be under five hundred. Well, they got to they got to do something though here. You got to take advantage and increase this lead where it becomes insurmountable for teams like Detroit, Cleveland, and Chicago ever got going. You know the White Sox, but you just let Detroit and Cleveland hang around as much as as long as the Twins are. It's going to come back to bite you. It really is. May 5th was 18 days ago. How many times has Yohan Durant pitched since then? Three. Three times in 18 days. Three. Two of them were extra inning games. Two innings against the Padres, in which he somehow got six outs on 17 pitches. And then he doesn't pitch for five more days. Then he pitches against the Dodgers, and he gets six more outs on only 18 pitches, which is extremely good. Yes, that's very efficient. And then he didn't pitch until five days later against the Angels. Then it took him, he struck out the side on 20 pitches. He pitches only once every five days. He used to be a starter. They're treating him like a starter, even though he's their closer. They don't use their best pitchers. He's got a 1.53 ERA. They don't use him. This team is good. Their starting pitching is good. They're not going anywhere because their bullpen is terrible. Their bullpen is mismanaged. And they can't fucking score up. They can't hit the fucking ball. Sean Manaya, did you see this game last night at all? Um, I, I flipped a little bit to it. Um, or I, I was following along with it. Uh, I know, like they they hit a home run in the eighth. They had the game. They had the tying run up at the plate, and then Castro struck out. Sean Manaya, who is a terrible pitcher for the Giants. Giants used an opener. Then they went to Manaya. Sean Manaya, who came into the game with an ERA just shy of eight, yeah. comes in, throws three and two thirds innings of scoreless baseball and strikes out eight. Yikes. Twins get three measly goddamn hits over four innings nearly. Strikes out eight times against the guy who who makes it hard to get out of the third inning when he starts. And they can't get a fucking run against him. That's not good. Fire the, fire the hitting coach. Do something. Call Royce Lewis up next week as soon as possible. Isn't it's this bad. Though, it is so bad. Isn't this in part, though, the issue with the way this team was constructed, and you can blame uh, the front office for this, is that you got a lot of guys who are swing and miss hitters. Like, it, it's, you know, it's either all or none. Isn't that part of, yes, the hitting coach has something to do with that, but it, isn't it the front office? Don't they need a little um, heat on them, not only for the bullpen, but also for the fact that you're getting a lot of these guys who are just, Trying to be uh, swinging, you know, swinging for the fence hitters. You're going to get a lot of strikeouts, and you might get a lot of home runs, but it's few and far between. Joey Gallo's been their best hitter, and he's at 205. It's because he's got a slugging percentage of 563. He's got 11 home runs so far. Buxton's been okay. Like Max Kepler, I would have got rid of Max Kepler. I would have traded him and just get him out of here. He's hitting 212. 
He's, he's had a few home runs. He's had six. I don't like Matt Kepler. Get him out. Um, Carlos Correa hitting two thirteen. Just not what what not what the day for. Right. You got Michael Taylor in center field. He, you know, good defense, but and he's had some home runs. He's had five. That's good for him. But he's you know a career hitter in the low two hundred. So you're going to get that. Christian Vasquez hitting two twenty nine. So you've got a lot of guys that are some guys who are kind of doing what they always do. That they're not. This is not a team that's going to hit for a high average. But Correa's got to do better. Mm-hmm. United States Bucks and hit better than two thirty. Well, you need Polanco back in the lineup too. Polanco's their best hitter, average wise two eighty four. And then you see you know Luis Rice still hitting three eighty. Not that he would have. I mean, he's only one guy. I don't know much difference he would have made. Um, but Alex Kerloff, he's been a nice jolt for the team. and It seems like they either score one run or they score eight. There's no in-between. Right. That's what I mean. It's a very, it, there are large extremes. Yeah. Like it's, it, they don't score all. We're going to score three, four runs. We're going to score ten or none. And even last night, all right, four nothing, you're down to the Giants in the first inning. And the Giants, they don't score again. That was a very much a winnable game. Like, oh, we're, we're going to have to maybe score more than three runs to win this one. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't. And they really didn't come close. So, and I, I, offensively, you can't make any moves. Like, everybody on offense is kind of where they're at. I mean, starting pitching, you don't need to make moves. Bullpen, you do. You need to make some changes to this bullpen because Griffin Jack's not good enough to be your seventh inning guy. Mm-hmm. They've got this Brock Stewart. He might be their number three guy now coming out of basically nowhere. Well, Sands is pitching pretty good too, right? No, he's their mop-up guy. He's not, he pitched a couple innings last night, but... His ERA is one. His ERA is good, but they never put him in a big spot. He's just the guy to... If they're down by, you know... If everybody else is pitched, they'll put in Cole Sands because, oh, we need to get through this game. So he's not anybody that factors in or is in a big spot. Maybe he should be. I don't know. But it, it's not working out. Like, whoever they put out there gives up a run. It's just very frustrating. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, so we'll see what the Twins can do this week. They have the Giants and the struggling Jays. Here, uh, what else? Like, like, like the front office has literally never signed a reliever. They have, they've never in the off season they signed they signed maybe one or two relief pitchers in six years. That's not every good. single guy is somebody they brought up from the minors. Every uh, other guy is some guy they just signed off the waiver wire, or they made a couple of trades. You look at oh, Yoan Duran. He came up through the minors. He was traded from Arizona for Eduardo Escobar a few years ago. Mm-hmm. They got Jorge Lopez. They traded for him for Baltimore. Uh, Brock Stewart. He was just some random guy. He got hurt. He had thrown a couple games in the majors with the Dodgers and somebody else a couple years ago. He was a random guy that was out there. A couple of these, uh, you know, Caleb Thielbar was. He was with them, and then Thielbar was pitching fucking independent ball somewhere. And then he comes back, and he's been one of their best believers for the last couple of years. He was with the Tigers and the Miners for a couple of years, and he was doing pretty good, and Detroit never called him up. 
Where is Steel Bar now? Is he even still on the team? Steel Bar? Yeah. Yeah, he got hurt a couple weeks ago. Oh, he should okay. be back. Okay. But he's been one of their better relievers. Mm-hmm. And he just, this team can't develop a pitcher to save his life. They just can't. I don't know what it is. They can't draft a guy, develop him in the minors. They can't. You look at Joe Ryan. He came here from Tampa Bay yep. for Nelson Cruz a couple of years ago, and he spent a very short time in the Twins minor league system, a month. And they traded for Sonny Gray, and they traded for Pablo Lopez, and they traded for Kent Maeda, and they traded for Tyler Malley, and a lot of those guys have worked out. But they just can't develop a pitcher to save their life, and, and I don't know and why. And that's an issue, and I, that's something they're going to have to look I, into. Like you look at that, it's okay, why can't we... Why can't we do that? Why, why can't we ever have a homegrown pitcher? Why can't we draft a guy? Why can't he spend three, four years in the minors? Why can't we call him up? Some teams seem like they have no problem with that. And other teams can't figure it out whatsoever. Yeah. It's frustrating. And it's it's an indictment and kind of a, a black eye on the um, on the front office and, you know, just on the team in general. you got to be able to develop pitching in the minors. Uh, and then they've got two guys who they kind of have developed in Bailey Ober, and he's 27 years old. Yeah, it's a little old. And they're like, you know what? Yeah, you got to start the year in the minors because we got Kent Maeda up here and we, we need to give him a shot. But you know what? Maybe take the guy who's had Tommy John surgery, maybe start him in AAA, build him up, and give Bailey Ober a shot. They also have Louis Varland who's pitched well. Mm-hmm. Those are two guys that didn't even start the year in the majors who've been called up. So I mean, again, if this team can just hit a little bit, they'd be excellent. But agreed. Agreed. Um, what else from last week in baseball stuck out to you here? Um, I mean, we're almost two months into the season here now complete. Uh, what, what transpired last week that, uh, that caught your attention? I guess what the uh, Yankees were accused of cheating. Aaron Judge was looking at the dugout for something. Yes. Yep. Oh, and then our, our friend Domingo Herman, he got suspended ten games for you wouldn't believe it, stacking sticky stuff on his hand. Huh? Uh, did he get he away with that it. against the Minnesota Twins? I recall. You wouldn't believe it. Apparently, legal against the Twins to have your hand as sticky as shit. Uh, not legal. I think they were playing Toronto. Hmm. 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 The, the umpire called it one of the stickiest hands he's ever he's ever felt. And he only gets and ten games. Hmm. Ten games, and he got thrown out right away. And of course, the Twins had this situation uh, last month, early this month. Yeah. Twice with the same pitcher, and Twins couldn't hit him. It's like, yeah, it just you know the umpiring is when it's bad, it's really really bad. Is it at an all time low? Like, is this the worst it's ever been? Or at least the worst in a lo- in a while? Like, some guys are pretty bad. Like, those, those ball strike calls were pretty awful. There was a call in the Angels series. Torrey Lopez threw a strike and it was called the ball. Yeah, that's what I was... Yeah, that, I, I, I tried, I, that was the one I was uh, referring to earlier. I can't remember it. But I, I saw it. I was like, wow, like, that's a strike. It's right down the middle. 
a, 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 a foot, uh, maybe a foot in the zone. It was on the upper half, but well within the strike zone, like eight to twelve inches. Yeah, and it was called the ball. I can't imagine there'll be a worse ball call or a missed strike call all year. And something like that happens, and you know, it's like what? Usually, if they're going to miss something, they're going to call a pitch that is outside a strike. Usually, if you throw a strike in there, it's going to be a strike. Mm-hmm. And every game, there'll be five or six pitches that are outside the zone that'll be called strikes that are incorrect. So, I mean, that's frustrating. Uh, Yankees released Aaron Hicks, former Twins outfielder Aaron Hicks, mm-hmm. who I've hated for years because he sucks at hitting. Uh, Cubs got rid of Eric Cosmer because he's also terrible. Astros have activated Jose Altuve, so he's back. And the Astros are playing really well right now. They're starting yeah. to get in a groove. And you just feel like, you know, you got the Astros, you got you got Baltimore and Tampa Bay. You got Texas still hitting that little ball, so Yankees are coming around. So some, some garbage team is going to come out of the AL Central. And other than that, we should have five pretty good teams. In the playoffs, other than that, what did it say? Like the Rays now have hit like or hit eighty-eight home runs in forty-six games or whatever, and that's like the third highest or third most in a span of 46, 47 games, along with uh, the Cardinals in two thousand. I think the Mariners in ninety-seven or ninety-eight, something like that. I mean, that's yeah, a, like they're on pace to break the Twins' record from a, a juiced ball season of twenty nineteen. And yeah, they're hitting more home runs than anybody. Yeah, they ever almost like two home runs a game. So and Baltimore, Baltimore's right there. Yep. This AL this AL East is maddening though because Toronto now has hit the skids here lately. Uh, they've lost five in a row. We'll see if they you know can they rally here and and turn it around because Boston and New York were in the cellar for a while and it just. This AL East is so topsy-turvy, apart from Tampa Bay being the most consistent team in there. What what do we make? Is this how the whole season's going to go? Is Toronto going to come up? Are the Yankees-Red Sox going to drop? And then, you know, it'll, it'll just keep changing and the ebbs and flows of the season. It, it, it's really strange to me how this, like, the last place team continues to change week to week. Because there's not much difference you know, between the Yankees, the Red Sox, Blue Jays. Right. Three and a half games. Yeah, is, is Baltimore going to come back to Earth here? Well, they're, they're, they're kind of playing over their heads a little bit, like they did for, for much of last year. But right now, you'd say, you know, Rangers and Astros are probably going to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay is going to make it. Mm-hmm. And then you're looking at two more spots. You know, as long as Texas keeps hitting. Who out of the East is going to make it? Is it going to be Baltimore and the Yankees? Is it going to be Boston and the Yankees? So. Could it be Toronto? uh, We don't know. Yeah, and and Detroit, 21-24, a lot better than people thought. And then then Cleveland has such a putrid offense. Both of those teams do. So, I'm I'm not too concerned with Detroit and Cleveland because they can't score. They're even worse than the Twins somehow. <laughs> so like, Twins can't you know, score either. Twins um, should get better, but you know, it's Detroit and Cleveland can't 
hit either. Mets are playing better in the NL. Oh, by the way, the A's fired their uh, TV announcer for his um, um, his uh, dropping of the N word in an opening in a pre-taped opening uh, when Oakland visited Kansas City a few weeks back. Kuiper, is the name. They, I don't. Apparently, they found. They said they found something else in their internal investigation. Whatever that means and whatever that is. I mean, he was pretty remorseful, and I didn't think there was quite as much blowback yeah. from this as there was, say, with like Tom Brenneman when he when he made his uh, stu- uh, stupid uh, stupidity and that that ridiculous remark um, involving the LBGTQ community. Also in Kansas City, so if you're an announcer in Kansas City, just watch your watch your P's and Q's for a couple of days. Yeah, right. Hey, I don't know what else they found, but just based on that, I don't think that's a fireable offense, and I think most people around the team probably doesn't think so. I think what NBC Sports got rid of him, not team so much. I think their their manager said there could have been a teaching moment of saying, "Hey, you know, this is what happened. Don't do that." Obviously. Yep. Yeah, I'd be pissed if I was him. You know, you fired me for that. That's obviously I did not mean to say that. Yeah. Well, and Um, again, if it was a pre-taped thing, how how does no one else find that? How does the production truck not? not, It it could not have been. It was. It had to be live because if that was pre-taped, they wouldn't have redone. Well, I know, but that that was some of the argument out there is that it was a taped introduction. I feel like it hasn't Yeah, it it had to. Yeah, I agree. It had to because yeah, why wouldn't anyone else get the fall for that to, to say like, hey, yeah, we gotta we gotta retape this. Um, yeah, because that I, uh, yeah. that was taped. I don't, I don't think I don't think there's any way it could have been taped. I mean, given that, like obviously a year and like, well, we gotta read that. So I don't know. Padres easily probably the most disappointing team in baseball. They continue to suck. Uh, the Cardinals are rallying here a little bit. Uh, what? Anything else from the week in baseball? We uh, you have a hitter of the week. Great hitter of the week. Let's find the hitter of the week. Oh, who was I going to go with? Um, who was somebody who was a hitter of the week? Who was somebody? And who have we had though? So this is our second hitter of the week? Second hitter, yes. Masataka Yoshida from Boston was the first yeah. one. He was the first one. Oh, hell, a hitter. Like, a lot of the guys... A lot of the guys at the top were some main guys. Um, I, I'd like to pick somebody that's not... Too well known. All right, let's uh, you know. All right, let's go with this. Let's go with uh, Brett Rooker with Oakland. Okay. Uh, he was a uh, he was a Twins prospect for a long time. Twins took him in the first round back in 2017, and he did good in the minors. And then they called him up, and he played uh, two years ago. He played 60 games and hit 201, had nine home runs. That's not bad. And then they traded him uh, 
to San Diego, part of that Emilio Pagan trade. And then he went to Kansas City, or uh, the Padres got rid of him, and then he went to Kansas City, and they got rid of him. Then he ends up with Oakland this year, and he's starting to come back down to earth, but he's got 11 home runs and 42 games at 276. There you go. So a, a good little six-week stretch for him. So I uh, Brett Rooker, one of, the, one of the more surprising hitters after basically being released twice in last year. There we go. Uh, any, anything else baseball-related uh, that we need to get to before we move on? That kind of Memorial Day is kind of that first benchmark in the season where you're, you know, 50 games in. You're about a third of the way in. So, yeah, we're continuing uh, to roll on with the baseball. So. Yeah, we are. How's your fantasy teams doing? Doing pretty good. We've got the uh, – in three of them. We've got the David Schottenkirk League – where I really like my team. What about I'm, I'm five and two. I feel like I've got the best team or maybe the second best team in the league. I I'd be disappointed if I didn't win. Okay. There Still you. early, but I'm I'm very pleased with what I've got here so far. Um, Sean Murphy, catcher with Atlanta, has been killing it. Mm-hmm. Got Pete Alonso, he's leading the league in home runs. Got uh, Nolan Gorman, a second baseman for the Cardinals, who's got 13 home runs and he's hitting 300. So I've got some surprise guys there. Okay, scratch Brent Rooker. Uh, here's who I wanted. Okay. Uh, we'll maybe say, oh, we'll check in him on a couple. Scratch that. Here's who we want. Okay. An obscure guy, uh, Christopher Morell. For the Cubs. I had him on one of my teams last year. He had a good start and then kind of faltered. Played in 113 games last year for the Cubs. Had 16 home runs. They call this mofo up. He has eight home runs in 11 games. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's who I wanted to pick. He's hitting 370. So hopefully that continues. From the Dominican Republic. Christopher Morell, he plays some outfield, plays some infield. Um, and he was tearing up the minors after having a good start to his major league career last year before things kind of fell off. But he has come up and eight home runs in 11 games. So he, he strikes out way too much. And I'm sure things will even out here a bit. But early on, he's been hitting the hell out of the ball. So. Very good. Christopher Morell from the Cubs. That's back-to-back NL Central picks here. Now we had Mitch Keller, the pitcher of the week last week with Pittsburgh. Yeah. So there we go. My, um, dust, my, dust, my dust V League, I like my team. I'm 4-3. and three. feel like you got a solid team. And then in my, my favorite league, my CBS league here, where it's 15 teams, you got a 40-man roster, you can sign minor league guys. I feel like I got a good team. I'm what I'm. I'm eight, four, and two. So I'm a game out of first in my division. So I'm pleased with my teams. I think I can win Schottenkirk's league. The other two, I don't think I will. But it's... Well, continued uh, success. We'll keep checking in on yeah. those fantasy teams throughout the season. 
Let's move from the diamond to the links here. The The PGA Championship was at Oak Hill in Rochester, New York this past weekend. And Brooks Kepka is your champion. His fifth major title. He wins it shooting a nine, uh, you know, total score of nine under. Uh, beat, what is it, Victor Hovland by two or Scotty Scheffler by two, I think. It was, um, both. Both, okay. Um you know, the rain, Scotty Scheffler was ahead. That was my pick to win it all. And he was tied for first going into the weekend. The rain uh, rained a lot on Saturday. It, the, the weather was kind of nasty. Messed with him a little bit. Brooks Kepka made his move, shooting a four under in the third round. And there was a little bit of a dicey situation on the sixth and seventh hole in the final round where he bogeyed. Each of those holes, and then he comes back with five birdies on the back, uh, was in control. Um, Bogey the 17th, not a big deal. Um, but he wins. Uh, like I said, it's his fifth major championship, and I believe there's only 20 other golfers who have who have five major titles to their name. So Brooks Kepka already should be considered one of the best golfers all around, even though he's kind of an asshole. Uh, he, on the live tour so this um kind of you know i think for the live tour the live guys it validates them a little bit but at the same so i don't know like what the reception was like you know if a lot of fans were like yeah brooks you know way to go i saw there was a, a little clip on the golf channel uh between a couple of their analysts after the, the tournament ended and stuff and they're talking like okay I mean, great for Kepka, but like, are you gonna have him on the Ryder Cup team? So that's a whole another um, part of this whole drama and stuff. But uh, at least for now, Kepka showing uh, that last year he was clearly was injured, and this year he's been uh, very good so far, and he wins another major. And yeah, it's uh, impressive stuff what we see from Brooks Kepka. I didn't watch anything I watched on Sunday quite a bit because I was interested in Brooks Kepka winning for the fifth time. Like, if he can do that, that's, that's pretty good. That's more That's more majors than we've seen anybody win mm-hmm. in our lifetime except Tiger and Phil. So, we're all right. He doesn't win anything else. He just wins majors. That's all he cares about, and that's okay. He's, he's the best yes. when the lights are the brightest. And he's a lot of money. And you, you mentioned he was injured. And live golf is good for him. More money for fewer dates? Yes, I'll take that. And I was waiting for one of these live guys to win one. And he's the guy that finally did. Bryson DeChambeau, he was up there for a while. Mm-hmm. And he had Scotty Scheffler. And then he had who else is up there? Victor Hovland, another live tour. I know some guys that have... No, Victor Hovland, what he's finished with top ten, three straight majors. So, yep, he's he'll, he's close to breaking through. He might be my pick to win yep. the Open uh, Championship in July. He's still young. He's twenty five. So, he enjoyed it. Wasn't wasn't all that of a. It was kind of a close finish. Well, there was a double bogey on what the fourteenth, fifteenth by one of the guys there that kind of put it to bed. Mm-hmm. So. He didn't have a whole lot of drama the last three, four holes. The highlight was this PGA Club Pro from yeah. California, this Michael Block fella. He gets a hole-in-one on the 15th hole. Uh, like, it just it, – it, 
dunked it right in the cup. It didn't bounce on the green. It just whoop, right in the hole there. And he now gets a couple of exemptions for tournaments. He gets uh, to go back to the PGA Championship next year when it's at Valhalla in Louisville. He is going to attempt to qualify for the U.S. Open. I, I He's shot up, what, 3,000 spots in the golf rankings or whatever. He was the biggest storyline, I think, outside of Brooks Koepka. He might have even topped Brooks Koepka just because... I mean, this is a, a PGA club guy. He's not on the tour. And for him to play as well as he did at Oak Hill, that's not a course that he's familiar with. I mean, he did better than Justin Thomas and, um, you know, like Jordan Spieth and, and guys like that. It's it's incredible. It's incredible what this guy did. And the hole-in-one on Sunday uh, just cemented it. And golf's really the only sport where that can happen. Yes, you don't see any tennis. You don't see some random tennis dude come out of nowhere to make the frickin', you know, quarterfinals of a major. And you might see it in the NHL with the emergency goaltender. Like mm-hmm. if they need a third string goalie or whatever, it might be a guy who's you know an accountant or you know a sales rep or something. But so that, how does that happen? They just say, they, do, do, do they take literally somebody who's never played hockey before? No, like he's they play hockey. It's just not maybe at the NHL level. So they played hockey in high school maybe ten years ago. Yeah. And oh, if we need it, you come again. Yeah. So like you know, holes in one. Like he, you rarely see it. Usually, you know, the the hole in one rolls in. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he, he hit a perfect shot. He hit the ball. Yep. Came down in the, in the cup, so it could not have been any better. That was an amazing deal, and that got him what he needed to be in the top fifteen to make next year's PGA Championship. Yes, I think it was and either like out. I thought it was fourteenth, and then I saw he was tied for fifteenth. I was worried he wasn't going to get in there, so I don't know if they made an exemption to this rule. Oh, but he tied for top fifteen, top fifteen for next year. Yep, and without that hole in one, he doesn't get in. Right. right. So, and I think on the day before he made a birdie on that hole. And, like, if he would have finished, like, in the top ten, he would have gotten to the British Open, U.S. Open, whatever. I think top five, he would have gotten an invite to the Masters next year. Well, uh, you know, a few shots away from getting the league. He's going to the Canadian Open. Yeah, this week or whenever the hell the Canadian Open is. Yeah, there's a Charles Schwab invitational uh, invite that he got as well. Yeah, he's not young. He's 46, so. Yeah, good for him, and. An enjoyable major with some memorable moments for once. I can't tell you who won the Masters. John Rahm. John Rahm, no, he played like shit. Yeah, he did. So, yeah, Brooks kept to five majors. Like, I want to say, like, he's the best guy other than Tiger and Phil in the last 30 years, but he got these other guys who win more tournaments, but they struggle in the majors. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're just close enough to not be in contention. So, yeah, you would know he's still, what, 33? So, I mean, what if Brooks Kepke ends up with, like, seven or eight of these things? Right. Yeah. Well, it, it certainly could happen. It's just, yeah. it's an interesting dynamic, though, that's going on here now. Now that you have a live tour guy that's won a major like, is this, how does the PGA feel about this? How does the PGA feel about a lift guy winning the PGA championship? I mean, ah. like, and again, 
I think I, I am interested to see how the Ryder Cup is going to go, and I would like to see them do a Ryder Cup-style event between Live and PGA. I think that would be phenomenal uh, to watch and see how that goes because there is a lot of animosity amongst the parties. There is a lot of um, spirited debate and a lot of feelings regarding this. So I would love to see a Ryder Cup-style event come about between the Live Tour and the PGA Tour. Make it happen. It feels like it's cooling down a little bit. Yep. Rory McIlroy's kind of said, all right, I'm going to... I've said what I've had to say. Like, we all know how everybody feels on this. Stuff. He was kind of the uh, unintended spokesperson for the, the PGA Tour, and that's not something that he shouldn't be burdened with. So, like Brooks Kepka, he'll he'll make the Ryder Cup team if he's if he's got enough points, if he's in the top ten or whatever, top eight, top four. Like he'll make it. Who is it? Zach Johnson's the captain, I think. Mm-hmm. And he has said, "Yeah, if he's there, I'll I'll pick him because obviously he's really good. Like, why the hell wouldn't you pick him?" And when he jumped up to second in the Ryder Cup rankings. Just because of the majors, and he's only playing the majors. So, he jumps up immediately to number two. So, he'll make it. I'll get along. I'll make your choices. He made his. I'm sure he's plenty happy with his choice. Yep. A busy day. He he jumped uh, to – he went down to Florida to watch the Panthers and the Hurricanes game three uh, Monday night. So, uh, apparently he's a big Panthers fan. So there you go. So good, good for Brooks Kepka. And the next is the U.S. Open over Father's Day weekend, I believe. It's taking place at L.A. Country Club down there in the greater Los Angeles area. So that's golf's next major horse racing. We don't need to discuss it anymore. There's no triple crown threat. Um, Mage, Maj, whatever, however you pronounce that horse's name, lost, uh, finished third. In the prequel, I, I didn't even know what was going on. I I completely forgot about it too. I, it's weird because they do. It's I think it's two weeks after the Kentucky Derby, and then it's three weeks between the Preakness and the Belmont. I can never remember if it's two and like which one is two, which one's three, but it's it's the two weeks in between the Derby and the Preakness, and then three weeks between the Preakness and the Belmont. I don't know if horses dying is this common or just because it's been in the news and we're more aware of it. It's probably this common all the time. I'm just not aware of it. it, it about, the, like every every couple days, oh, yeah, another 10 horses died. Uh, it's it's gotten, a, it, it was very extreme in Louisville at the Kentucky Derby this year. Um, I actually talked with a, with a couple people at this wedding we were at uh not this past weekend, but the weekend before, and they they train horses, or they work with horses, and um, it's not all just like the upper body injury, like during a workout and stuff. It could be a heart attack, uh, maybe from some uh, steroids or or uh, you know performance enhancing drugs, something like that. So it's not all just like oh they got put down. The horses may die because of other extenuating circumstances. So. Um, very insightful. I learned a lot uh, there. So I would not want to be a racehorse. No, no, probably not. Uh, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. So, 
No, nope. no triple crown there. No NBA championship for LeBron James and the LA Lakers. Get those brooms out. The Denver Nuggets swept them. Um, swept them uh, Monday night. The looked like the Lakers were going to force a game five, and then Jokic and Jamal Murray took over in the second half. They prevail and they get the win of terrible officiating in the first half. Uh, the Nuggets were able to prevail uh, despite the officiating. And uh, Joker averaged a triple-double for the series. It's the second uh, playoff series. He's averaged a triple-double. This guy is just amazing. Uh, I don't know if Denver is going to, or, or if he, uh, certainly not the Denver Nuggets, but if Jokic is going to be able to turn the needle, turn the dial for for basketball fans to watch these NBA Finals. I think it, you know, if it's Denver and Miami, I think it's going to be a very low-rated NBA Finals. But um, this guy's a superstar. He's a stud. He's fantastic. Um, just the way he's able to to dish it out, to get the rebounds, the points, everything. I mean, to average a triple-double for an entire series is remarkable. He really is one of the best basketball players there's ever been. Yes, yes. Won two MVPs. He should have, he should win this year. I don't think he's going to, but he should. No, it's already done. Embiid won. Oh yeah, Embiid won. Yeah, it, it should have been already. Like you know, two weeks after that, people were like, you know what? Yeah, Jokic should have won, even though you know Embiid had a great year. And it is a regular season award, so we shouldn't factor in what happens in the playoffs, even though. A lot of people do. He was still great during the regular season, though. Like, his stats are better yeah. than Embiid. He was good. He played, see, Embiid had, like, what, 33 points a game. He only played 66 games. Jokic only played 69, so he still missed, you know, 15 games or so. 24 points, 9.8 assists, 11.8. Rebounds. I mean, so. you may as well just give him a triple double. I mean, that point two assists away from a from a triple double for the season. Yeah, it feels like that. He uh, he increased his assists this year by two per game. His points dropped by about two and a half. Rebounds dropped by two. So, and if really, if you think about it, the two points that he lost, if you're getting two assists, that's minimum uh, a two point difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, a positive two-point difference because that means they made buckets. So it's a two to four-point swing there. And this guy was the 41st pick in the 2014 draft. Yep, the the, the Timberwolves uh, passed on him. I think everybody passed on him. Yeah. He's from Serbia. There's enough time between the, the, the conference finals and the finals he could fly to Serbia for a couple days. Yeah, it's... Like really, like you know, well, I'm assuming Miami's wrapping this thing up in four because Boston has just given up. Yes, at this point. wasn't that just a, a an atrocious look by the Celtics on Sunday night? Just a, a, an abomination. Like I, you know, the, the game's on in the background. I'm not paying attention to it, and I look up and they're up by thirty. I'm like, what happened here? I thought this was somewhat close. And then they're up like eighty six to fifty six. Mm-hmm. Like, well, shit. And I hope all the conference finals, including hockey, I hope they're all four zero. Wouldn't that be something? And that, I, this is it, certainly um, what a weird year. It's not the norm. Yes, this is uh, this is not the norm. Um, but you do have to just because we're going to have this here. Where I, regardless, I think the Heat would. 
Yeah, I, I think the Heat wrap it up tonight. But yeah, you're going to have nine days off between the conference finals potentially and the NBA finals. That is not good for business. You want to like drum up the interest. Why can't they? There's got to be a flexible starting date. You can't make it just hardcore. Well, the, who cares if you have some, uh, you know, push the reruns on ABC to another day. Like, are we really that? Like, what what's going on? Is Will Trent? No, is, nothing's is, going on now. Yeah, is Will if, Trent? If Miami wins tonight, there's no reason why this series shouldn't start by Friday or Saturday. Yes, absolutely. But what what a waste! Yeah, what it, this doesn't need to go to the middle of June. This can wrap up. You know, June fifth. This doesn't have to go to June seventeenth. So, yeah, because you're you're kind of excited. I don't know about you, but I've watched more of this than usual. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I was interested in Denver beating the Lakers. I was hoping they would win, and they did. Mm-hmm. It was a a close series. For being four nothing, it was close. Every game was competitive for the most part. Yes. Yep. And the Nuggets were trailing in both games at home. I believe it, it came down to the fourth quarter. And the Nuggets, whether they're just younger or fresher, they just pulled through in the fourth quarter seemingly every game. So I, I'm interested in Denver beating the Lakers. Um, you know, like when Milwaukee's been, I, I don't give a shit about Milwaukee when they've been in there. You know, it, it doesn't interest me a whole lot. But, yeah, these finals, I will be interested in these finals. You know, Miami, Denver, very odd, but... But this is, like, the worst possible matchup that the NBA could have had. Um, certainly among the four teams remaining, but when you would look at the NBA Finals in the... I, but, I mean, who would have ever thought the eight-seeded Heat would make this run? Nobody. Like, the Bulls, the Bulls almost beat them. Yes. Like, in, in the playing game, the Bulls had a lead in the fourth. I'm like, all right, they can maybe win. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus. So, yeah, I thought, you know, for sure. not for sure, but I, I kind of thought both of these series would probably go seven. And they're both probably going to go four. So it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, as far as betting and like, yeah, I'm not, I'm done with that. I, <laughs> you don't even know anymore what's right. going to happen. And for all the stuff in the West, it, it ends up being the onesie. Yep. Like it usually is. But this year, like, oh, maybe it's the Warriors. Maybe it's well. Do you think maybe Sacramento can make a run? Maybe it's the Lakers. Well, no, it's the one seed again. Well, if you look at the 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 seedings in the West, you had a seven seed advance to the conference finals, that being the Lakers. The Warriors advanced to the second round. Um, who was it? I guess the Suns were the four seed, right? So um, yeah. that wasn't up. But you had these upper seed. You know, on the East, you had a five and an eight win. There, there were so many upsets in the NBA this year, just like with in the NHL. Um, so yeah, we'll see if the Heat can do it. But yeah, the, otherwise, the uh, NBA Finals start next you know week, uh, Thursday. So it will be fascinating. Okay, to if you're the Nuggets. What do you do? You just say, all right, we're going to take time off here. That first game may be rough. I mean, nine days off is. I mean, that's ridiculous. It could be rough for both teams though if the Heat win Tuesday night. So, so do you say if you're if you're both coaches say all right we don't play for eight or nine days? Oh, what Wednesdays when they play? Uh, Thursday. Thursday. All right. Uh, have the rest of the week off, gentlemen. I'll see you back here Monday morning. Okay. Let me throw this don't, out don't, here. Don't get picked up. Don't uh, 
get a DUI, don't let me see an Instagram with you with a gun or cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here, we're going for the finals. Either team can win this. Uh, here's the next five days off. Good. Enjoy. How about this? How about you? Do you even like maybe scrimmage against a bas- a college basketball team? Like, could the the Heat say, "Hey, uh, Jim Laranaga, let's let's scrimmage yeah. you"? I mean, even though the Heat would trounce the the Hurricanes, it at least well, gets something. you in basketball. I mean, the Nuggets would take on the Pios. Not not great uh-huh. stuff, but I mean. You could at least have a scrimmage. If you think about the opportunity that would be for those kids uh, yeah, to be able to do I mean, it's just a thought. If you're going to have over a week off, I would think you would need some sort of scrimmage-like practice to get into a, a rhythm for game one. Otherwise, game one's going to be bad for both teams. And Miami's doing I never hear about this anymore because they're winning injuries. Injuries don't matter, I guess, when you win. Well, Tyler Harrell was out. He he broke his hand or whatever. Game yeah. one again. He's going to be back for the finals. Like he'll be back. Like, like he, yeah, yeah, I haven't heard about him in like a month. Right. Because he got hurt like a month ago. It's like, oh yeah, he's gone. He's you know they're probably third best player, maybe second. And oh yeah, they lost him. Now they're probably not going to beat Milwaukee now, but they do. And yeah, he's kind of been I don't say forgotten, but they have not. He has not been law or needed. They're like, oh, what if they had Tyler Hero? Well, Christ, they. So, I guess injuries happen. Let's. let's <laughs> and a lot of time when the injuries happen. Well, they, they could have won, they would have won, but so and so got hurt. Let's say the Eastern Conference Finals go to six games. Right. I would take the Heat in Game One against Denver because they want, there's not as much of a gap. Yes, you you have time to rest, yada yada yada. But I would rather you know. If you have this elongated gap in between games, then you're going to be really rusty regardless if you're playing at home or not. If Miami wins Tuesday night and it's a four-game sweep, then it's a a moot point because both teams are in the same boat. But I think the longer the series goes, and I know Miami just wants to take care of Boston right now, just end this, you don't want to give them any hope. That's what the Nuggets said. We don't want to give the Lakers any hope. We, We want to win this game for we're not just happy to take one in L.A. and go back home and win in front of our fans. We want to win this series here in L.A. We don't want to give them hope. The Heat are the same way. You know, you don't want to give the Celtics any chance, any sliver of hope. But at the same time, too, I think if the, if this series prolonged a little bit, I would take Miami uh, to win game one because they would at least have played more recent. And that's what makes what, what Mike Greenberg said so ridiculous. About uh, the, the weather in Miami or what? No, not about all that too, but also the Lakers and Warriors, how the Lakers should arrest LeBron was at game five. Well, and, the Lakers, and the Lakers did lose that game by, by plenty. But it's like I think most people probably thought, yeah, Lakers will probably win game four. They're not going to get swept, are they? Don't risk it. And uh, you know what? Might, Boston might win game three. Is that, are, they, are they really going to go down 3 nothing? It's like, no, you, you have no idea what's going to happen. Put your, put your the, the, the foot on the throat, the pedal to the yes. metal. Don't let up just because you stole a game on the road. Just end it. We're not, you're not in the um, business of to, to try and make you know the, these games you know all that more exciting. You're there to win a championship. That's the ultimate goal. Take care of it in as few games as possible because that's less wear and tear on your body. 
at some point, some NBA team is going to come back from a 3 nothing deficit yep. and win. It's going to happen at some point. I saw something like statistically, which I don't give a shit about, but statistically it probably should have happened by now. Yes. It's happened like 135 times, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, the 16 seed over the one. It never happened, and then it did, and then a few years later it happened again, and it'll continue to happen every, yeah. you know, every 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, sooner than that. Well, I mean, yeah, I think it's 0-1-149. Did you see what odds uh, ESPN's uh, BPI gave, or ESPN Analytics gave the Heat to win this series? Like 14%? 3%. Like, what a bunch of shit. Like, what is that bait? I hate, I hate that. Whatever that is, I hate that. That's a, But that's one of the reasons, too, I hate analytics in baseball. It's become so much more about the numbers and not just the feel of the game. Now you have to look at like, all I this hate... crap. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it's just to this extent. Like, how could how can you take ESPN analytics seriously moving forward if you gave the Heat a 3% chance? Like, what, what factors into that? Like, even, even if you're doing that, it's like, even going in the series, like, yeah, the Heat have better than that. I yeah. probably, I would you give them, like, I don't know, a 30%, 40% chance going into this? I would have said maybe 20%. I think that's reasonable. Just Like, Boston struggled with Philadelphia. And then once you get this far, it's like, yeah. So, I mean, that's ridiculous. So... And then uh, I do, I do, I kind of like Apple TV. They do their Friday night baseball game, and I don't mind that for the most part. Yep. Because it's a little bit different. And they've got on the screen usually throughout the at-bat, okay, what's the percentage this guy gets a hit? What's the percentage that this guy gets on base? All these different percentages throughout the game. You know, oh, it's a 3-1 count here. Percentage or likelihood of getting on base increases because it's three one right. compared to if it's a one two count. I don't know where those things come from. It's I don't know if it's okay. Let's say you've got Bill Bill. You got Nathan Stack in batting. Mm-hmm. All right, it's a two two count. His likelihood to get on base is twenty five percent. Well, I would assume like you're going to factor in what I bat against, what left-handed or right-handed pitching, what I bat against, you know, the slider or the curveball, whatever, whatever said pitcher I, I'm going against, whatever they throw the most of, what do I hit against that? Like, I, I, there's got to be five or six calculations. Like, so, so, how far do they go back? I don't know. Do they, do they just use this year? Do they use last year's stats? Let's say you've seen this picture fifty times in your career. Mm-hmm. Let's say you let's say you beat the shit out of this picture. Let's say you've faced him fifty times and you've hit ten home runs and you've hit you've gotten forty hits and fifty at bats. You're hitting eight hundred. Like, I, I just don't know what goes into all of those things. Yeah, you would want it to be the same and consistent throughout every game. Again, um, like, and what goes into right. They can't get a three percent chance to win, like based on what? <laughs> it feels like that is a three percent chance to win any playoff series is so ridiculously low. Like that's just ridiculous. Like you would give the Timberwolves a three percent better than three percent chance to beat Denver or somebody. 
Remember when the Warriors won, when they were the eight seed and they took out the Mavericks, the one seed? The, 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 this yes. Was, you know, when Dirk won the MVP award. Oh. I, like, the, the Warriors were so bad, like, I would maybe consider a 3 to 5% chance for them. Or th- Dallas was so good. They were just so astronomically yeah, better. Games that year, yeah, they were... They, they were so much better. So that's a three a three percent. I'm like, well, that's really low. I wouldn't go that low, but I could see that more than I can the Heat and the Celtics. I mean, the Heat have made it to the conference finals. It's not like Boston ran away with it. Boston wasn't even the best team in the East. They were a two seed. What? So, so I don't understand how they got that. So yeah. So what were what were the, the what were their chances against Milwaukee? It had to be less than that. I don't know. I think they they were a little higher. I I don't know. I'd have to go back, but I saw it was ninety seven and three for this. Yeah, I saw that too. That's I hate. And there were three different things. What they had with Levis, there was like a point one percent chance of him getting out of the first round undrafted. And yeah. There was like one other thing that they just whipped on. So. Good on you, yeah. ESPN Analytics. Good on you. Uh, we should mention also uh, while we're talking about the NBA, the uh, the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes were last week, the NBA draft lottery, and I'm not gonna quite call this a conspiracy like I will the the NHL draft, but the San Antonio Spurs did win. They had uh, they were one of the three highest uh, percentage teams along with Detroit and Houston. Detroit and Houston get four five. Uh, that's that's awfully funny. Uh, I would have loved to see. Victor go to Charlotte in part because it'd be in the East and not in the West, but it kind of follows the the same suit. This generational type talent gonna go to San Antonio. Their only other two first uh, number one overall picks were David Robinson in 1987 and Tim Duncan in 1997. Yeah, how'd that work out for him? So I you know given Greg Popovich is you know he's a great coach. Given how many international players the Spurs have uh, drafted and, and have been on the team over the years, uh, this is a great spot for Victor, I think. It's not in a big market, but it's just like, a, oh yeah, like the Spurs winning it, it's not a huge surprise. I was happy for all those reasons, but this should work out. And we'll see how, I mean, Popovich, like this last year may have been his last, and this next year may be his last, but with him, you're like, maybe he sticks around a little bit. I don't, don't know. you think he could he probably gets a little more youthful and uh, reinvigorated and energized by the fact that he's going to have Victor uh, Wembenyama on the team? <laughs> he is 74, so it's like... True. How much longer do you go and, you know, how good is he going to be? He's still, what, 19, 20 years old, so how good... Will he be, and is are the Spurs good enough to make the playoffs next year with this guy? I, you know, you look at their roster; it's not very good. No, it is very bad. Uh, I would. I mean, is he a? What What, what do you think? Like, does forty two wins get you a, a a spot in the playoffs next year? Like, even in the play in game, I think that's what it was this year. What was the What was the West's worst team? That got into a, the the playoff tournament here. Let let's take a look. Um, let's see. Uh, we had New Orleans was forty two and forty. Uh, no, uh, Oklahoma City was forty and forty two. Yeah, the Thunder got in two games under. Yep, 
Uh, so the Spurs then would need that's an 18 game improvement. That's e- I I think that's easily doable. You've got what Keldon Johnson. He's 23. He averaged 22 points this year for the Spurs. So hello to this guy. He's from. He was a first-round pick, 29th overall a few years ago from Kentucky. Keldon Johnson took a big leap, so he averages 22 a game. All right. We've got Devin Vassell, 22. He averaged 18 points. He's from uh, Florida State. This was his third year. So they've got guys I've barely heard of who, all right, these, these two guys average 40 points a game. I'm not gonna lie. I wouldn't have been able to name a single player on the um, on the no. team because I know, like, I the only player I could have named previously was Lonnie Walker the fourth, and he got traded. Um, yeah. Now, when I look at this roster, I've I've heard of a lot of these guys, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you that they played on the Spurs, not by a long shot. They had. Uh... Devontae Graham, who used to be good for what the uh, Hornets and the Pelicans, and he's kind of fallen off. He's, you know, he's a guy. You got Trey, jo- Trey Jones, Trey Jones from Minnesota. Yep. Tyus Jones's brother. Yeah. Doug, uh, Dougie McBuckets, uh, uh, had, uh, his dad's the head coach at Creighton. There you go. Uh, so Trey Jones. No, they, they've got some guys. So you put Victor Wembenyama in the Smiths. Jakob Podol, I know you're a big Jakob Podol guy. Yes, oh, for sure. The biggest Podol guy I know. He averages 12 points and 9 rebounds. He's a solid uh, post player. He's, he's so, not even on the team anymore, though, is he? I'm not seeing him. Who the hell knows? He was on there a month ago. I don't know where the hell if he's in his free. Jakob Podol? I don't see Jakob uh, on here. He is he with uh, maybe I don't know a wrong goddamn year? What year might Um, he's with uh, Toronto. They shipped him off to Toronto. I may I may be in the wrong goddamn year, Toronto. Oh, <laughs> well, they, they uh, what they do? He started the year with them, and they they shipped him to Toronto. So yeah, I think I'm in the right year. So yeah, I mean they've got some guys. Keldon Johnson, 22 a game, that's good. Well, and how much do you think, you know, all of a sudden, San Antonio becomes more of a free agent player? Like, it, it, veterans may want to come play with Victor. I'm sure they've got three guys I've never heard of that'll be all-stars. You know, they'll have a, a Tony Parker, they'll have a, you know, a Ginobili. They'll have these guys that'll be like, what, these are like second-round European guys? Oh yeah, they're some of the best in the in the NBA. So. Probably, probably. So congratulations to San Antonio on winning the Victor Wambanyama sweepstakes. We've got what uh, number two and number three. You've got, I guess, a decision there. Yes. Like Brandon, uh, what's his nuts? Oh, uh, Brandon Miller from Alabama. Like uh, you know, does he go two? Could or just Scoot, Scoot Harrison or something like that from. Uh... Yeah, but the Hornets have got the second pick. The Hornets talk about bad luck. They missed out again. Yeah. Um, so the Scoot Anderson, I've never heard of him. Um, apparently, he can dunk. I mean, okay, Brandon Miller is a little too close to Alabama if he goes to Charlotte, right? 
It's like, yeah. send, send him to Portland. He can't get into any trouble there. So then, yeah, you, Brandon Miller, you go. Brandon Miller goes to Portland. And then it kind of falls off there. So, um, top three seem pretty set. Scoot Henderson, I mean, again, you can dunk and this guy shoots. Yes. Can he fucking do something? Oh, yeah. He can do everything. Scoot? Oh, Scoot. I'm sorry. I, I was thinking I was thinking of Victor. Yeah, so, uh, and oh, I mean, this guy's got a lot of hype, so hopefully, hopefully he stays healthy. I mean, he's obviously very tall and skinny. Um, where was he, 7'2", 7'4"? I think 7'4". So we haven't seen anybody like that. We've never seen anybody like him before. A 7'4 guy that can handle the basketball. Mm-hmm. And shoot. So yeah, he'll be he'll be an interesting guy to watch. Oh, for sure. He might be must watch television. The Spurs are going to be on national television a bunch next year. Yeah. Um, I think that's. And, you know, like Tim Duncan wasn't an exciting player at all. No. No. Obviously, very good. Very quiet. Very soft spoken. You know, and, and David Robinson, obviously a Hall of Famer, and probably more exciting than Duncan, but. Um, you know, to have this, to have Victor there—that's that's exciting for the Spurs and their fans because they get you know one of the one of the more exciting guys potentially that that there's ever been. Yeah. So. Yep. So there's that. Anything else we need to get to this week before we say so long? Oh shit. Um. I don't think so. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your week. Have a great uh, Memorial Day weekend. Do you get an extra day off in there? You got baseball to do? What's... Yeah, we got Monday. There you go. I got, I got one rant, I guess, before we wrap it up there. Okay. Um, went to Harrisburg on Saturday for baseball. Mm-hmm. Region tournament. We got a four-team tournament. Single elimination. We'll play three games. Winner goes to state. Mitchell didn't get out. Very close. I had been to Harrisburg for baseball in probably five or six years. Been there once before. They made upgrades to their facility. The pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline, gave them $175,000 for some reason for scoreboard and upgrades. Oh, okay. So I get there, and there's this press box area. There's a building behind home plate, and it looks pretty nice. They've got, like, decks on both sides. But it's not finished, so I asked the guy, a parent, whoever the hell was at the entrance, say, can I go up there? He's like, no, nope, I don't think to let anybody up there. It's not finished. Hmm. I'm like, all right, that's nice. The PA guy's got a headset on. He's announcing the game, announcing the players in the, in the, in the game before Mitchell's. So I asked him, where, where the hell do I got to go? He's like, you can go wherever you want. I'm like, all right. So I sneak up to this press box. Yes. It's not done. It's nice and big, but it's not done. So I set my shit up there, kind of lean my equipment on the windowsill. It's not the best setup, but you got a good view. Mm-hmm. And then the, the guy with the Mitchell paper, he comes there, and I wave him up, and we'll send our stuff up, and we're ready to go. And the PA guy comes up and says, guys, you can't be up here. I'm like, God damn well, didn't he just say he could? The, the premium. Oh, t- technically, yes. But then the first guy said, probably not. It's like, 
All right. Well, the, he was up there because he had his microphone, and I think he was like turning on music. I think between games. Oh. Because he's well, you know, it's not done yet. The city's not letting us occupy the building till it's finished. I wanted to be an asshole, but I wasn't. I wanted to say, well, you're kind of up here right now, aren't you? And you're <laughs> up here between the games and before the games and after the games to turn your mic on and off and to turn the music on and off. So you're kind of up here. Every You're not up here for two or three hours at a time, but you're up here for a couple minutes here and there. So you're not, you're kind of occupying the building. Right. It's kind of horseshit. So it's, like, oh, it's all right for you to be up here for two minutes. But we can't just fucking stand here for two hours, so that was kind of a pain in the ass. So then I asked, "Okay, I need electricity. Where the fuck's the electricity?" Yeah, we don't have any. What? So they finally ran like a hundred foot long extension cord from the press box, which is hooked up for electricity, all the way down. And I sat behind home plate, first base side, first row of the bleachers. I brought a table, thankfully, so I was prepared for that. Yeah, good boy. I would have thought Harrisburg would be better prepared. Yeah. And ultimately, it worked out well, because up there, I didn't have a table. Down low, I brought my own table, so my head got sunburned like a son of a bitch. But other than that, it worked out pretty well. So, you know, it's just like kind of a pain in the ass. But. Yeah. Well, I expect better from Harrisburg. Come on. Because nobody covers high school baseball besides Mitchell Media. There you go. Peer, peer, bank peer. And that's about it. So it's not. Well, good on you for, for covered, but well, good on you for covering Colonels baseball. Uh, but you have a great weekend. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't get too hot and steamy. And we will chat again next week, my friend. All right, we'll see you later. Travis Crins joined me here, Sports Block Podcast. Always appreciate his time. It's always great stuff there, uh, from the weather to all sorts of uh, talk about the Twins and baseball, NBA, uh, Brooks Kepka winning PGA Championship, Victor Wembanyama. Uh, congratulations to him on going to the San Antonio Spurs. We will continue uh, talking about the NHL playoffs. We'll actually start talking about the NHL playoffs next. Marcus Traxler will join me here. We'll also talk about the the situation going on with the Arizona Coyotes. Not one, not two, but three resolutions failed at the at the polls last week. What does that mean for the Coyotes franchise? We'll discuss that next here. Coming up on the Sports Block podcast, uh, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Just search Sports Block. Follow me on Twitter at ndstacken. Facebook, Nathan Stacken, uh, Travis Krins is on Twitter, at Travis Krins. A link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. NHL playoff talk and Arizona Coyotes and maybe some more stuff. That's coming up next here with Marcus Traxler as we roll on on this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Continuing here on the Sports Block Podcast and pleased to be joined by my good friend and resident Hockey expert from the Mitchell Daily Republic, none other than Marcus Traxler. Marcus, how are we doing? I'm good, Stacking. How are you? Doing good, thank you. We are down to the final four in the NHL, the Eastern Conference Final and Western Conference Final going on right now. And these series very well could be wrapping up here soon as uh, the Florida Panthers. It's, it's, it's all Southern uh Final in the East and the West. Vegas and Dallas in the West. Carolina and Florida in the East. Just the way as God intended hockey to be played 
in late May, early June. Yeah, Vegas being the northernmost team of the four that's left is pretty crazy. It is. Just, it's nuts. And they're like the, I would say out of the four, they're easily the hottest city at this time. I mean, they literally built the entire city in a desert. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty incredible stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe one of the most, uh, you know, at least when it comes in terms of recent playoff success, I know the Dallas was in the Stanley Cup final in the bubble, I believe. But mm-hmm. uh, Vegas has certainly been beating up, beating down the door for a while now. So, uh, and Carolina has won one previously. Got to go back about 15 years, but they've done it. So, uh, it's just interesting the the varying levels of of uh, you know recent success, but I'd say for sure Carolina, Vegas, and Dallas. It's entrenched hockey. There's a hockey market there, which I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about. Yes, maybe a failing hockey market before we're all we're all done here. Yes, we will. But, <laughs> um, you know, Florida, they've just been so bad, and they've had you know some real ups and downs, and so. The, the uh, installation of star power makes a huge difference here, and uh, they're certainly excited about um, you know, having a shot at getting to the Stanley Cup final. Sure are. Um, oh, I, I lost my train of thought here with where I was going with this. Oh, I remember now. Is this good for the NHL? I mean, we talk often about ratings and whatnot, and ratings haven't been terrible, at least for the beginning of the, the conference finals, but, um, you know, I... Honestly, I I think the 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 short answer is yes, it is bad when you have four southern teams here. Maybe you know four you know there's not a power six team. There aren't a lot of star power and like Connor McDavid's and whatnot. But in the long grant in the long scheme of things, is this ultimately good for the NHL? Um, ultimately, I think it's fine. I don't think it's necessarily good. I I wouldn't say it's bad either. Yeah, my main thing is like, you know, we talk a lot about, oh man, you know, especially last round, we could have had, you know, Edmonton against Toronto and you could have had the real star power um, in the league, although they would have been Canadian teams. Mm-hmm. That doesn't get a lot of people that fired up in the U.S. I think it's becoming, it just becomes increasingly clear that if you're a hockey fan, you're going to continue to follow it. But if you, a lot of people are just fans of their own team. And when your team's out, you're not watching as much. I mean, the local yep. ratings generally will point to that. So um, I think, you know, hockey fans in general are going to have some interest in how this all turns out, but I wouldn't expect um, there to be a huge bump off of this. I think the the continued success of the team in Vegas um, and to a lesser extent Carolina, because they have become just kind of diehards and created their own um, – uniqueness with the tailgating outside the arena and stuff before the games. Mm -hmm. Um, It is important that those, those traditions can keep going. Vegas um, has no doubt built something special with uh, their game presentation and, and developing a fan base. For sure. But, um, you know, overall for the league, I don't think it's that great. It's not a disaster either. I mean, but certainly when it pertains to Florida, and specifically South Florida with the Panthers, um, honestly, they are the most captivating of the four teams for me because of the fact that they were the eight seed. Like, they were the very last team to get into the playoffs and secure their spot. They took out the Boston Bruins. They took out Toronto. And you're seeing what they're doing to, to Carolina here. And so far in this series, they have great defense. But right now, Sergei Bobrovsky 
is playing out of his mind in in net. And we we've seen him before in Columbus do this, and that's why they brought him to Florida. But I think just the story of what the Panthers are doing and how they've gotten to this point is something that I don't know how it'll captivate the casual hockey fan, but certainly for me, it's it's the most captivating of all four teams in, in terms of the storylines left in terms of who can win the Cup. Oh, no question about it. And I think the, the fact that uh, they're basically going to take out the three best teams in the East, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, especially Boston and Toronto to, to some extent, and then obviously... Uh, Carolina was my Stanley Cup final pick uh, in the East, mm-hmm. and they're going to—they're very likely going to be down three-zero in this series. So it's—it's um, it's really incredible. They play just a really good defensive style. I think everybody that has paid attention to these teams just kind of expected these to be low-scoring games, and they have been. Two-one um, in the last game. Uh, this looks like it's going to be one-zero finish. Um, so, and it does. It is kind of interesting. I, I agree with what you said about Bobrovsky, but you know, Paul Maurice uh, was fired in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. kind of a retread coach that nobody really thought too highly of. And sure enough, um, you know he's going to have this team now one one win away from the Stanley Cup after they had gone through the Quenville stuff. They had Andrew Burnett there for you know fill in last year, so uh, just an interesting story to see how they have really just spun this into. Uh, you know, a really successful playoff run. Well, and you need this type of goaltending to do it. I mean, that, yep. uh, that's a, a huge, yeah, it frees you up so much. Well, and I thought when they moved on from Andrew Brunette, because I thought he did a good job for them last year, given the, the situation and the circumstances he was dealing with, I was surprised they didn't uh, keep him on. I thought that was a mistake, but clearly uh, what we're seeing right now is the, the Panthers said, no, it's not a mistake. And I guess also Matthew Kachuk is uh, fastly becoming a household name and one of the rising stars in the NHL. We saw him at the NHL All-Star Game. It was it took place in in Florida there uh, at, at the Panthers Arena. Um, so maybe a few more hockey fans, maybe... Uh, got uh, made were made more aware of Matthew Kachuk, but that was the big trade in the off season between them and Calgary, and now you just kind of see what Florida's doing right now. And again, I just for them to be the last team in, and for them to take out the best team that we've seen in NHL history, uh, certainly when it comes from the regular season standpoint in Boston, then to take out Toronto, and now they're gonna very likely, I would think, sweep Carolina. Here, it's just a, one of the more remarkable runs that I can recall I, for a Stanley Cup. We, I remember, you know, when the eight-seeded Kings won it, and Jonathan Quick was fantastic. But this has a different feel to it, a different vibe, in my opinion. Yeah, no question. I think Matthew Kachuk is probably uh, the biggest star star guy in these in these playoffs. Uh, just you know, pesky, but certainly um, a player that you can't help but respect uh, and just worth pointing out here that trade is on july 22nd um when he basically told their july 20th he told the team i'm not going to resign here the calgary so they trade yep the calgary flames so they trade him for jonathan huberdeau who's a good player but mackenzie Weger, cole schwint and a lottery protected first round pick uh in 2025 that feels like a small price to pay to really have your cornerstone aside from um bobrovsky here your cornerstone in Matthew Kachuk that has, 
impacted these playoffs in a massive way. The one thing I've noticed, at least from Game 3, um, the, the bouncing puck, a lot of guys slipping on the ice. And I, I think, you know, when we're talking about Southern hockey, and particularly as it gets into late May, early June here, the temperature rises, and especially down in Florida with that humidity, you're going to see more bouncing pucks. You might see the ice not being as good of a condition as it would be, say, in Toronto or Minnesota or um, you know some of these more northern tier cities. So I wonder how much of a factor that is going to be for any of these markets that hosts a Stanley Cup final game. Yeah, I think it's all about the humidity uh, in the air, and it's all about the how good the refrigeration, how good the ice system is at the arenas you're playing in. Um, I gotta think it's not great in in Florida. It's it's not a brand spanking new arena. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, Vegas is relatively new. I guess I can't speak for for Carolina or Dallas necessarily, but the humidity is going to cause a problem, right? The humidity yep. and the heat is a is a natural enemy of ice. So. Um, that's that's going to be an issue. Um, but you know, we have this every year. We play the Stanley Cup final in June now at this point, mm-hmm. and uh, it gets to 90 degrees in Minnesota. We wouldn't know because we're not playing this late in the year, but <laughs> right? yeah. um, it's it is one of those things where, um, and I think as the Stanley Cup final gets gets uh, going, I'm almost certain the NHL has their fingers involved in helping with the ice conditions as well as much as they can, obviously, because they have the uh, ice gurus that help put on the special events, uh, outdoor games, and all that sort of stuff. So I would imagine those people are involved in both cities as well. And maybe, if anything, it's maybe a good thing, you know, when you have a team like Florida and if you have to play a team like Dallas or Vegas, that they're used to these hotter temperatures this late in the season or, you know, just throughout the year, and maybe they aren't, they aren't playing on as great of an ice surface as, say, Minnesota or Buffalo, Toronto. I remember, I think we've talked, I think, you know, it's been mentioned multiple times before about how sometimes how bad the ice is at uh, what crypto.com arena now is with the Kings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, of course, in Southern Cal there. So, you know, maybe, you know, with the Southern teams, knowing how to play on the ice, maybe that won't be as big of a factor here. Uh, but yeah, so- I, think, I think the other issue is exactly what they have in L.A. When you're sharing it with two other teams and you got to change the court over every day mm-hmm. uh, to ice, that impacts it as well. That puts a lot of stress on everything involved in the building. So, um, And none of these teams that are left have that. They may have concerts uh, here in the next you know couple weeks that are on the schedule, but... Uh, they're not going to be flipping it over to basketball, so that's right. helpful. That it's you know you're mostly just sticking with hockey as much as possible. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so Florida up three zero in their series with the Carolina Hurricanes. We'll see if that series wraps up on Wednesday. That's on TNT. TNT will be home to the Stanley Cup Final this year. And in the West, we have the Dallas Stars and the Vegas Golden Knights. What's interesting about this, the game three between Florida and Carolina, the first game out of any of the conference final games thus far on both sides that did not go to overtime. We have been treated to a ton of overtime hockey in this postseason, and it started out with that four-overtime thriller in Game 1 between Carolina and Florida, but we've seen Vegas and Dallas go to overtime twice. Vegas scores quickly in each overtime here. 
Uh, and, you know, it happened in game two that the, I believe the game tying goal was set up by a Ryan Suter turnover. It was just, it was a terrible uh, turnover by Suter, and then he doesn't get back and, you know, just kind of in no man's land. Vegas scores, ties it up, and then they win it in overtime. I don't leave this series, if, I, if, if I'm if i Vegas, and I'm, if I'm a Golden Knight fan, I'm not like, oh, yeah, we're going to win this series or whatever, because Dallas plays a lot better on home ice and, you know, great special teams and whatnot. But, um, you know, if I'm a Stars fan, I'm not feeling too uh, down about it. But at the same time, it's like, okay, the Stars clearly played their best against the Wild. They struggled with the Kraken, and maybe the Golden Knights just are just going to be too much for them with their depth. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Vegas in the series, right? They've already, already got two games in hand. Um it's it's just been interesting to see kind of the guys kind of come and go in this series. I, I think it's fair to say, you know, Suter's one of those guys who he played great against the Wild, but he's been less effective against other teams and gold, all those sorts of things. Jason Robertson killed the Wild. He's been quieter mm-hmm. uh, since, and Rupe Hintz has been the same way. So, uh, you know, you need the star power to deliver in the playoffs. Vegas is just kind of tried and true at this point. Uh, but they also have a goaltender that, you know, frankly, a lot of people wrote off uh, as their main guy here. So it's it's been interesting to see just how far is he going to take Vegas in these playoffs, considering they've done the playoffs with you know the big name goalie like Mark Andre Fleury. But this is a this is a different animal here with I believe Aiden Hill. Yes. Yep. And he's filling in, you know, for the the starting goaltender. And if you're look, and that's one of the things I picked the Stars to win this series because. Ultimately, of the goaltending matchup, I thought just you know Jake Ottinger was the the main difference maker here, and with the Stars' special teams, their power play and penalty kill, thought that would take him over the top. The and Vegas wants to play in five on five. They have great depth. You know, they uh, Jack Eichel is is fantastic, but um, you know for Dallas, I just thought goaltending would be it, and Ottinger just hasn't looked quite as sharp as he did in that first round series against the Wild. Yeah, and they need him. I mean, he's that. He's a top five goalie in this game, really, when he's on on it, and he has not been as good in these, in these playoffs. I think if you're Dallas, you're looking at, you know, you were three minutes away from winning game two. I'm guessing they're not panicking much. But they can't be happy. They're 0-4 in these playoffs when the game goes overtime. So mm-hmm. uh, that has not been their friend. And um, I think they're, they're definitely going to be leaning on uh, home ice and you know some of that star power to deliver a little more here in uh, games three and four. And on the flip side, Florida is 6-0 and in overtime games. In their, yeah, uh, I mean, obviously purely coincidental, but it is yeah. interesting how those trends form in a playoff. For sure, for sure. So... Next week, we'll likely be talking about a Stanley Cup final matchup, and I think it will be Florida and Vegas. Is that what you're going with as well? I think so. I mean, I, I like Carolina, but I, I mean, they're, they're down 3 0 now, so uh, I don't think they're going to make a comeback. Uh, crazy things have happened. I think it's fair to say, you know, game one in that series, uh, you know, going to four overtimes, that just completely changes. Well, whatever the trajectory in that series was going to be, it's been altered for sure just mm-hmm. because. Uh, when you play two games in one, you know, the legs are going to be shot, yep. all those sorts of things. So, I, I, you know, I'm waiting for Carolina to bounce back. It may not happen. And, uh, yeah, overall, I like Vegas in the West as well. 
Uh, other NHL news that we need to get to here is what took place last week in the state of Arizona, and specifically the city of Tempe. Uh, not uh, They declined not one, not two, but three different proposals for a new arena for the Arizona Coyotes. And this essentially, you would think, will make the Arizona Coyotes free agents. I, you know, they're still trying to figure out a, um, a spot in Arizona for them. They're trying to figure out a solution. But this has really gotten a lot of these... Um, markets are a lot of these uh, a lot of fans talking about where they should move. Patrick Mahomes has openly recruited the Coyotes to move to Kansas City. Uh, Hartford Whalers are are being discussed. Maybe going up to Quebec. Houston, I've seen, has been mentioned as a possible destination. What do you make of this whole situation involving the Coyotes and what took place last week at the voting booth? Yeah, I, it's. Uh... It's a. There's so many elements in it that make it interesting. Um, I'm. I just kind of shake my head with why was this even being voted on to begin with? Um, you know, it was a two billion dollar project, and about eighty five to ninety percent of it was going to be privately funded. Uh, you can say what you want about whether or not facilities should have public funding. Um, a lot of times, cities and counties get left holding the bag. Yep. But this was seemed like a pretty good deal if 85 to 90% of the project was going to be paid for. And I'm going to guess it was going to be, you know, a certain uh, element of infrastructure around the arena that was, you know, going to be on the public's tab, which I think is fair. You know, when we're talking about, you know, street, sewer, you know, electric grid, those sorts of things, that is fair to ask the public uh, municipality or county to pay for that, I think. Yep, yep. Um, but... They went to the poll. I think it's clear the Coyotes just sort of took it for granted that people were going to support it. Um, this franchise, I'm sure they have fans in in the Valley, in Arizona. No question. They've been there for such a long time. It's impossible for them to not have fans. Mm-hmm. But they clearly don't have as many as they think they should have because they haven't gone. They didn't go to Glendale before, and a lot of the tickets, even in the little arena that they're in, on the Arizona State campus, you know, every game is basically 50-50. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like that when the Wild were there this winter because a certain allotment is, uh, you know, available for students on campus as part of the arena setup, and uh, a lot of them just sell off the tickets wisely. And so yep. it's uh, – I just can't – I can't wrap my head around why the NHL has tried, particularly Gary Bettman, I know he doesn't want to give up on this. I know he hates how the Atlanta thing, you know, just blew up on him. Mm-hmm. There's got to be another way to make this work in Arizona. Or he's at least going to keep trying it. That's his philosophy. Yep. And I, I, if this was another market, would he be doing this as much? I'm not sure. You know, Arizona is a top 10, Phoenix is a top 10 market. So I get that you want to make this work um, to the degree that you can. I think what they're going to do is they're going to they're gonna find some, some sort of solution in Phoenix, uh, now Mesa's kind of the new city that's popped up here. I, I don't think we're going to see a move because expansion is going to be lucrative to these cities you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Kansas cities, the Houstons, maybe Atlanta at some point again. Um, I don't think they're going to go back to Hartford. I don't think they're going to go to Quebec City, honestly, because 
from what I've gathered, they don't have the corporate support necessary. They can fill an 18,000-seat arena, but they don't buy premium seating. They don't buy, they're not going to fill up suites. Mm-hmm. So sounds like that's going to be a factor. Um, but it's interesting to see some of the other cities that we see involved. I think Kansas City would certainly fall in that bucket. Salt Lake City, Portland, some of these cities that we were hearing from that we ne- haven't necessarily heard from previously. But when every expansion team is going to be worth at least $500 million, we, we think the Senators are going to sell for like a billion dollars soon. Mm-hmm. That tells you, okay, you're splitting that up 32 ways to the other owners. Uh, they're going to be interested in expansion rather than a move where they don't get anything. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think one of the things, too, with moving, like specifically if you were to relocate this franchise, you almost have to do it in a western city unless you were going to completely revamp the divisions and go to like eight divisions of four. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, so that eliminates uh, Quebec. It eliminates Hartford. It eliminates any uh, Atlanta, any other uh, uh, eastern city there. It would essentially mean you'd have Kansas City, Houston, as you mentioned, Salt Lake, maybe Portland. Um and honestly, if I'm looking at it here, I think Houston would make more sense than Kansas City. I don't know if the state of Missouri has an appetite necessarily for two hockey teams. Um, I mean, I know Kansas City is a big, you know, a good metro-sized market, and they the state obviously can support two baseball <clears throat> two baseball teams, excuse me, but I mean, it's never had two hockey teams, so I just I don't know if. That can necessarily do it. Houston's a huge city. So, I I mean, we know that there's an AHL team there with the Houston Arrows, I believe. Um, so, I think Houston makes a little more sense because Texas is so big and you have so many more people there. Uh, within that community, I think that could support hockey. Not saying Kansas City couldn't, but to me, Houston just makes a little more sense from the size of the market. Um you know, I wonder too. Is you know, if if the Coyotes would have gone through with trying to revamp, you know, this, uh, you know, the Arizona State a hockey arena to make it more suitable for an NHL uh, team as much as possible, if they thought that this was going to be a that this was going to happen, where the the resolutions failed. But at the same time, I think they almost had to do it because if I remember or if I recall correctly, Gila Arena or Gila Arena, however you pronounce it, was saying, no, you, you can't do this because you defaulted on a payment or something. So they were going to kick him out. They were going to evict him out of that arena regardless. So they were essentially homeless. This was the one place they had kind of as a, as a fixture until they could get the new arena built. And now you're kind of looking at it going back to square one and saying, we need to find a city in this general metro area that will support us. And I don't know where that's going to be. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I was, uh, I was in Scottsdale slash Phoenix slash Glendale, uh, you know, about 15 months ago with our friend, uh, David Schottenkirk, we yep. went for the waste management yep. golf tournament, and we went to Glendale because we wanted to see the uh, the uh, the Cardinal Stadium, and we, we went to Top Golf, which is yep. right across the interstate or the road there. And we went, we drove, we walked right up to the uh, the hockey arena that's there, and you're there, and you're just kind of like, how is this not working? Like, 
it was it's a nice arena it's a nice outside we didn't go in it but you know the it's kind of got a plaza area like you'd expect with these arenas mm-hmm. and there's all kind of, I mean, it's a shopping district um i get that it's a long way out of downtown phoenix but uh that's a huge metro area and i just yeah, i don't understand how they couldn't make it work other than clearly they couldn't get enough fans there um and we, you know, the understated part of this is that this franchise has never been good. They've made it to the yeah. West Finals like twice, maybe once for sure. Um, you know, you got to put a, a legit team on the ice to maybe draw some fans there. So, and they don't have I that just, right now. And they don't have it right now. I mean, they're they're a, they're a retirement uh, community team right now. I mm-hmm. mean, they're they're where you're going to finish out your career um, or you get drafted. It's interesting, you know. They were one of the contenders in the draft lottery for Connor Bedard. Think about how weird that would be if mm-hmm. they would have won the draft lottery and would get Connor Bedard, and they'd have this future that's so foggy. Uh, so it's very, it's very questionable. Um, the arena that they have at Arizona State it's great for college, but they had to basically build temporary locker rooms for the NHL. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that Arizona State controls basically everything about that setup. So. That can't be good for owning a team. Um, I think one of the options has to be sell the team, try to sell it to somebody that's going to make something happen around Phoenix, or you're selling it with the understanding of this team might be moving. I don't know, but it's very interesting uh, to, to keep an eye on what might be happening here. Well, and I think it was bought by the current owner, and certainly with the hiring of the, the president, who is a... Um, of Mexican descent, I believe. Right. Uh, yeah. With the whole kind of mindset of yes, we're we're keeping the team here, and we want to build this fan base up a little bit more. And and now that you almost have to look in the mirror now and say, okay, is this even plausible for us to proceed with what we want to do and the goals that we have for this area? I. I mean, yes, it's not like it's necessarily a hockey hotbed, but at the same time, Austin Matthews is from Arizona, and he's one of the best players in the NHL. He's playing for yeah. the Toronto Maple Leafs. So there obviously is some talent there, and there is you know some hockey development there. You know, not It's not a hockey hotbed by any means, but certainly there is talent down there, and you just have to wonder where this is. I have no idea how it's going to end up. My thought is they're going to move. Um, I I have, I just have no idea how this is all going to play out, but this is certainly uh, something that's going to hover over the NHL for quite some time until they can get a resolution one way or another. Yeah, I I think they're going to be staying there for at least the next few years. I mean, I don't think a move will be happening soon. I think um, I think this little arena situation is going to going to continue for three or four more years. And um, if there's no movement in that time, then I think a move is, is going to happen. But I think they're going to make something happen with an arena somewhere else. Mesa seems to be the, the next kind of option that seems to be pointing out. After being in Scottsdale, I just find it kind of crazy that Scottsdale has not come forward to make something happen uh, with, with some of the options that they have around there. So, I just think there will be something that comes forward. Um, is it going to be centrally located? Some of the issues they have now are still going to exist. It's still a hike uh, to drive from Phoenix out to Scottsdale or 
you know, Glendale to Scottsdale, whatever. And they're not all right next to each other. So there will be that element of you have to drive, there will be traffic, but I got to think they'll figure something out. Just one thing that just came to to me now, why can't they at least, or maybe they have, but wouldn't approaching the Suns and new owner Matt Ishbia about potentially, like, you know, combining the Suns arena into a hockey arena too, like we've seen so like, you know, Dallas has, Philadelphia, Washington, Madison Square Garden. Like, couldn't that be a possibility, too, as a last-ditch effort? I don't know if it's not quite as easy to maintain in the desert, but, I mean, they do it, I guess, in Vegas for basketball when they host the Pac-12 uh, conference tournaments, and obviously they just had a regional there this year for the NCAA men's tournament. I would think that would certainly be a possibility, too. I, I don't know if they haven't, if they if they haven't looked into it, why they haven't. Yeah, I, I can't explain the current elements of that. I know that when the Coyotes first got there, they shared the arena together. So it, it has been done in the past. I don't know if the ice if the ice machine's not in there anymore or what, what the situation is, but um, there's got to be a way to make it work. Um, I know uh, because when we were there, we went to a Suns game. Um, so it's a nice arena. It is built for the Suns right now. I'm sure retrofitting it in some way for the Coyotes would take some effort, but it's got to be a better option than what uh, what they've got going on right now at Arizona State. So at least for three or four years while you figure this out and you get something else built, um, you know, we just see it more and more where, you know, we don't see a lot of the arena sharing anymore. With You know, mm-hmm. there's probably... I don't know, there's probably 10 teams that still do it or 10 cities that still do it, maybe more, uh, but it just doesn't, we don't see it as much because teams usually find a way to get their way and, and get their own building. Yep, I'm trying to think right now off the top of my head, Toronto, Chicago, Philadelphia, uh, New York with the Rangers. Uh, Washington, Washington, Boston. Yep, Boston. Yeah, Denver. Yep, um, L.A., LA and uh, Dallas so yeah there is like nine or ten cities there but like again all the these other hockey arenas you know they do host college basketball games throughout the year you know the you know the SEC tournament is being played you know plays at Bridgestone Arena um, in Nashville, where the Predators play, so it's not like they're immune to basketball. It's it's. And I'm I'm pretty sure that in recent, I'd have to look it up, but I would guess that they have had some sort of hockey exhibition in the Suns Arena in the last fifteen twenty years. That seems like something I remember. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's been done before. It's a fascinating situation as it continues to unfold. Will. We'll talk about it here because yeah, it's it's unresolved at this point, and you would think something has to be the resolution has to be coming here soon. One would hope, um, especially if you enjoy hockey in the Arizona market. Uh, anything else that we need to get to here? Anything else on your mind that you would like to discuss before we say so long? Well, I'm sure it got discussed last week, but uh, do we need to unpack the schedule situation anymore from the NFL? We did have the flexing news today with Thursday Night Football, and I'm going to guess you have some thoughts on that. It's just so dumb. I, I I, hate it. I really do. I hate that they go to Thursday night, or to Amazon Prime for, you know, streaming games on, on Thursday night anyway. Like, I, I, I kind of, 
I hate to be, you know, one of these Bud Light target people here, but I kind of boycott <laughs> the streaming. Um, uh, I, I tried to boycott it last year. You know, it's just like, you know what? I don't want to give in because I don't want streaming to be the main way that NFL games go. I would rather have them be on, you know, the CBS, the Fox or whatever, you know, cable, um, regular like cable TV channels rather than streaming and whatnot. So, I mean, clearly Roger Goodell is desperate to make this whole deal work. I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to, when you looked at, okay, because Travis and I talked about the, the, the Thursday night football schedule for this upcoming year. To me, it's not a stellar lineup. Is it better than last year? Sure. But there was so much talk about how, oh, they're going to put all these great matchups here on, on Thursday Night Football. And for crying out loud, we get the Bears twice. You get, you know, Bears-Washington. Who gives a shit about that? I mean, uh, Panthers, Bears, like, okay, whatever. It just, there's, to me, there aren't a ton of great matchups there this year so they didn't I thought they were going to put more eggs in the Thursday night football basket than what they did I'm glad they didn't end up doing that but I don't know I I, I hate that they're trying to make this streaming deal work as as much as they are I mean they're trying to make it work because Amazon paid them a lot of money a I mean, billion just, dollars a year and that's kind of a lot yep <laughs> and there's there's a reason why they got the games and um at the same time um the games when they were on, I guess they were on CBS, they were on NBC, and they were on Fox. Uh, over you know how many years they did Thursday Night Football, it just I guess didn't work to the degree that they wanted. I think part of it is because until they landed on Fox for what two or three years, mm-hmm. they moved they moved the channels around so much you couldn't like it was hard to know. Okay, is this game on NFL Network only? Is this game on yep. CBS? Is it on both? I mean. Mm-hmm. I just felt it felt kind of stupid, but ultimately, yeah, I I could find the games. Um, I did I did watch the games last year I, on the NFL Plus thing because I don't have Amazon Prime, so I just watched it on my iPad. Sure, okay. um, and, and a lot of times I was working, or I there weren't a lot of times where I just sat at home and I had three hours to watch that Thursday night game. Where you do do that with Sunday night football or Monday night football, where you make it part of your routine. Yes, so I. And we were lucky last year the Vikings weren't part of it, so, you know, it wasn't an absolute necessity, but um, it was I, – I don't love it either. I, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to be more bothered by the Peacock playoff game That's that we're going to have too. this year. Yeah. That sucks, man. That sucks. It just does. And I know that it's going to be a one-year thing, and Peacock is paying a lot of money for that. That's a nine-figure thing for, for one playoff game. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. What do you think the NFL would, like, how would they consider it a success for a playoff game? What's the magic number you think they have to get to for that Peacock-only um, playoff game for them to say, like, oh, yeah, we need to do this more? I To me, I think it's going to be a, a flat-out failure. I think, I think people are going to kind of revolt against it. And if you're desperate for it, you're going to go to a bar or something. You're not going to download Peacock. Yeah, let me uh, let me do this quick. Yeah. Yeah, last year in the 18 to 34 demo, Amazon averaged 
two point oh, overall they averaged nine point five million viewers over fifteen games. And Amazon has this for eleven years total. So this will be the second year out of eleven. Mm-hmm. The highest rated game was the first game they had, uh fifteen fifteen point three million dollars watched the Chiefs fifteen point three million viewers watched the Chiefs and the Chargers. And their lowest uh, rated game was nine million dollars. Nine million people, Panthers and Falcons. Um, so I gotta think if you're doing this, you're banking on those that playoff game getting ten million people to watch. You know, uh, if if you averaged, you know, eleven million or ten million for regular season games, um, you gotta you gotta get that many for for Peacock. Yeah. Um, and I imagine this is going to be, you got to subscribe to Peacock, or it's, I, I, I think it's going to be, it's just going to be on there. I don't think you have to subscribe. Um, or if you I do, it'll remember, be like a seven-day free assume, trial. What's that? If you do, it'll, it's like a seven-day free trial. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I seem to remember that it was just, it was going to be on there, you can watch it on there, but you didn't have to pay. So, that's helpful, I guess, but, I mean, people... This is the whole issue. We could spend two more hours talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I get that people are leaving cable. I, I understand why it's expensive. You don't watch everything. TV, everything's becoming more fractured. Um, but at the same time, now everything's going out to these other streaming services. Your cable bill is being chopped up, and everything's becoming more expensive that way. And that means you have to go back and and really the cable deal ends up or cable bundle ends up being a deal. And, um, you know, now you've got some of these games that they're going to be leaving uh, these things. You know, I'm going to have it this year with, uh, you know, and they've got their own issues apparently with this TV deal, but a lot of Big Ten stuff. Some Big Ten football, a lot of Big Ten basketball is going to be on Peacock. I don't love that, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess I need to see what it's going to look like before I just out and out, you know, crush it. I mean, they're not, some of them will be prime, prime games, some of them will not, but. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't love it. The other, there is one game on December twenty third, Bills Chargers, that will be on Peacock only. And I wonder, I, I can't imagine they're going to get more than a few million people to watch that. A, it's over the Christmas holidays, but if you're trying to like stream it, I just, I don't think that that's going to draw a big number. Certainly, the playoff game will be bigger. It's funny that you bring up the, um, I mean, that that regular season Peacock game. Mm-hmm. They have an, a regular game on NBC before it. Yes. So you know that that NBC game is going to happen. I think it's the Steelers against the Bengals or something. Yes. Yep. And then, and then they, when that game ends, you know they're going to say, "All right, the next up on you know on Peacock, go watch it." And you know, I don't know how many people follow that, but it'll be interesting. And then you, it's interesting that you brought up the Big Ten because I saw a story on ESPN.com about you know from Pete Thamel about how the Big Ten hasn't even like their their TV deals are unfinished at this point. Um, like that's kind of a big deal, you know, with Kevin uh, Warren leaving uh, the Big Ten uh, for you know to to be in the front office with the Chicago Bears. Uh, I mean, this was a big deal for the Big Ten to say, like, screw it, uh, ESPN, we're going to go CBS and, and NBC here now along with Fox, and all of a sudden now you are, 
like you don't have these deals in place and there's something there like 30 to 40 million dollars um less than the sec and i think they have to pay a few um they have to pay millions of dollars or something that you know for like backing out a deal there's something there i'll try and find it here but um like that's a pretty big deal for the big 10 you would thought oh the big 10 is one of these conferences that has everything you know all the ducks in in a row, everything's in order. They keep trying to expand, and they can't even get these damn TV deals done. Like this is a bad look for the Big Ten, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a good look. It's it's amazing that okay, we've got a new Big Ten TV deal coming. Uh, you've got three major networks involved. You don't have ESPN involved. That's a huge deal to not have ESPN involved with broadcasting your games, as the conference has been for forty years, um, and then. If I'm expecting anybody in the Big Ten office to get this right, I'm expecting the commissioner to understand how the TV rights work when he's doing this deal. This is one of the only things he accomplished, aside from USC and UCLA getting the conference. I need to trust that the commissioner can get the deal right. He didn't even understand that, oh, yeah, under the current deal we have, we've already given out the rights to essentially Fox because we've given them to Big Ten Network, the network that we own Mm -hmm. in part with Fox. How do you not understand that? You're the commissioner of the conference. I, I just, I don't get that. And so he's giving out games that he didn't have the right to give out. And, um, or, or the, you know, essentially the Big Ten gave games to CBS and NBC that they didn't have the rights to because all the rights are with Fox first and then out and then sublicense from there. And for the commissioner of the conference to not understand that is just a really bad look. And, and I'm sure they're going to get it resolved. But it's probably going to cost NBC and CBS a little more than they want, or the Big Ten and Fox are going to have to work together to give them some make goods or whatever, or Fox is going to need make goods or whatever to get this smoothed over. And that's the new commissioner that they brought in um, has TV experience, and that's going to be important to get this smoothed out. The games are going to be on these channels this year. I, I don't think that's ultimately going to be impacted, but they got to get some crap figured out um, to get everybody on the same page because the old guy uh, didn't leave it in a good spot. And personally, I mean, he worked for the Vikings. He had a very good reputation, but aside from UCLA and USC, and overall this contract will be good for the Big Ten, I'm sure, you know, financially, but he didn't do a great job. I mean, we had the COVID debacle in 2020 that ended up blowing up in his face. I understand you wanted to play it safe, but nobody else went with him really, aside from the Pac-12. And uh, and you have this, you know, messy TV thing that your your successor has to has to clean up. Here's more from that ESPN.com uh, article. I found it here. The Big Ten is going to have to, or the schools within the Big Ten, essentially the Big Ten, they're going to have to pay back nearly forty million dollars to Fox because, according to sources. Uh, Warren delivered NBC the Big Ten football title game in 2026 without full authority to do so. Uh, they're going to have to pay $25 million uh, total for a deal to pay Fox back for lost 2020 football game inventory. And then there is the fact that there's tens of millions of dollars in value from this NBC 
deal for the Big Ten game because certain schools like Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State are pushing against having to play a late night or a, a night game in late November. So they're, they're just saying, no, we don't want to do this. So you are taking three prime uh, universities, three very good football schools. They're saying, no, we, we don't want to be in prime time. And when is NBC going to broadcast games? In prime time. So this is this is a huge, I would say, a huge black eye right now. It, Like you said, it likely gets resolved by the time the season uh, kicks off. But right now, the Big Ten doesn't look good. And that's a lot of lost revenue right there. And NBC's not going to want to pony up a ton of money if they aren't going to be able to get the best teams on uh, in prime time on a regularly scheduled basis. Yeah, I don't understand the, the conference title game element of that because I know CBS is going to have a conference title game in one of these years coming up. Fox has the majority of them, but mm-hmm. NBC and CBS were each supposed to have at least one. So Samuel's reporting didn't mention CBS, so I don't know where they fit in. I have a real issue with, as a Big Ten fan, as a Gopher fan, I have a real issue with the last part of that. They've never made, you know, they, they've had Friday games for a while. You know, uh, that was part of the last TV deal. Mm-hmm. They threw those mostly to Fox Sports One. Um, I don't. Some of them might have been on Big Ten Network. I'm not sure. I, I'm thinking of the in in conference schedule. Yeah, they've never they've never made Ohio State play those. They've never made Penn State play those. They've never made uh, Michigan play those. I understand those are huge, you know, traditional Saturday big time draws. But to me, it's it's just shitty if you're going to make, you know, most of the league play on Fridays. You've had Nebraska do it. You've had Wisconsin do it. Iowa's done it. Minnesota's done it. Um, Indiana, Purdue, go down the line. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Michigan State's done it. Go down the line of almost all those teams in the league have done it. And those other ones have not. I, I should take that back. Maybe Ohio State has gone on the road and played on a Friday, but they haven't given up home games. Right. Uh, Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State have not played home games. And now it came out today, it, maybe uh, ironically in the aftermath of this, that the TV contract calls for NBC to have a Black Friday game, and Penn State will host Michigan State probably on a Friday night on Black Friday, um, which I found funny given that this other – story came out mm-hmm. so at least at least Penn State's going to have a Friday holiday game that they're going to have to play but I, I've never felt it was right that you know most of the league follows one set of rules and the other one won't I, nobody wants to play a, a Saturday night game when it's 10 degrees out in Madison or Iowa City or Minneapolis yep. or Evanston, Illinois but if that's where the TV eyeballs are going to be there and that's all we know that's what college sports is about now. It's about TV eyeball. It's not about how many butts you're in the seats. Then you got to play on. You got to play on uh, at night in November. That's just part of the deal. That that goose sailed a long time ago because they've had night games in November now. That used to be a pretty hard and fast rule mm-hmm. for the Big Ten: no night games in November. And they've broken that down. So this this should be a moot issue as far as I'm concerned. Where the new commissioner or, frankly, the old commissioner should have gotten to Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State and said, shut your damn mouths, you're going to play the games we need you to play to fit this contract because it's clear you don't care about when the games start for fans in attendance. 
We know the NFL doesn't care. We know the Big Ten doesn't care. Well, and just looking here at the weeks 11 through 13 here in November, uh, the the second weeks uh, second week through uh, the, through Thanksgiving here, pretty much. And so week 11, I'm looking at the Big Ten schedule: Michigan State, Ohio State. That is actually scheduled right now for 6:30. We'll see if that. Goes out, but Michigan, Penn State, that could be a much bigger game than Michigan State, Ohio State. And if Penn State says, no, we don't want to do that, are you just going to say, okay, yeah, um, sorry, NBC, we're going to take that away? But that should be a primetime game. Uh, week 12, Minnesota at Ohio yeah. State. That could potentially be the biggest game on the Big Ten slate for that week. I mean, Minnesota's got a hell of a schedule. I saw it today. I think they have yeah, like the second most yeah. difficult schedule. But let's say Minnesota pleasantly surprises and is in contention at that point. Minnesota, Ohio State, you wouldn't say, okay, Ohio State, sorry, you know, you know, sorry, NBC, Ohio State refuses to play at night. No, you're gonna fucking do it. And like, <laughs> it, it's just, yeah, you're right to, to play with one set of rules against the other. It's it's bad. But I feel like that in this. Day and age with conference realignment stuff, you want to tiptoe around the delicate nature of some of these teams that could otherwise move on to greener pastures like the SEC. Like that would be the only destination for like an and, Ohio and, State. And let's be honest, Michigan and Ohio State aren't leaving for the SEC. Like, yeah, the money difference is not that big between uh, the Big Ten and the SEC, and it's, in fact. Starting next year, the gulf between the SEC and the Big Ten and everybody else is going to be massive. So um, there's not going to be any reason for the traditional powers of this conference to leave and go somewhere else. Unless all hell breaks loose, and I guess we can't rule that out. This is college sports after all. Yep. It's just, it's remarkable where this goes. Um, While we're on the subject of... Uh, conference realignment or uh, teams leaving. Western Illinois left or uh, is leaving the Summit League, and uh, that effective immediately. So they won't be in the Summit League here moving forward. They will be in the Missouri Valley for one more year. But they got a, a um, they accepted an invite from the Ohio Valley. I must admit, I was a little surprised that they went to the Ohio Valley. It makes more sense for them travel wise, maybe competition wise. I thought maybe they would go to D two. But where do you think this puts the Summit League? Um, I saw Matt Zimmer had an article on Sioux Falls Live uh, earlier this week. Was it Monday or maybe Sunday regarding it? But where do you think this puts the uh, the Summit League and South Dakota State and you know the Missouri Valley football? I don't think it impacts Missouri Valley football as much, but I almost and not say as I told Crins this last week. I don't think Western Illinois they weren't the glue that was holding the Summit League together, but they are now the oldest member that has since left. And I just feel like maybe if there's an opening for additional teams to to leave and move on to a different conference, that this could be the beginning stages of that with Western leaving. What are your thoughts? I think I think Western Illinois only hurts leaving from the sense of they've been in the league since the start. Um, I think I think everybody is a reasonable threat to leave in this conference. Um, you know, Oral Roberts has left before they could leave again. Denver has been in the league, but they've been in other leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, SDSU, NDSU, USD, uh, UND. 
it's hard to really see those four teams going anywhere. St. Thomas, for the time being, is here, but I don't think it's a, it wouldn't be a shock if they left for the Big East at some point in the in a decade or whatever. Um, so I just think you're just kind of they have to make the most they can make of this situation. Western Illinois was probably tired of getting their teeth kicked in in basically every sport. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think maybe men's tennis they were decent at, uh, but they weren't. And then they've had moments in men's and women's basketball, but I I think they have one NCAA tournament appearance in those two sports in 40 years. Yeah. And so I get sitting there and going, we need to figure something else out. Um, we also need to understand that higher education, West Illinois in particular, they are in major budget issues. Mm-hmm. They probably said, like, we got to figure something else out to save some money. And so I'm, I'm sad uh, that they're leaving just from the sense of, you know, it was a team that had become familiar. But other than that, I don't think anybody's going to be too heartbroken about it. Right. Ultimately, it's just got to be, is the league stable? I don't think you can honestly sit here right now and say, here is the obvious team they should add. Uh, because they've all got pitfalls. They've all got um, question marks. Uh, Zimmer mentioned a lot of them in that story you talked about. Mm-hmm. Even Augustana, right now their company line is we're not looking to go to Division One in the other sports. They got their hands full of hockey. Yep. So, you know, I don't think you want Northern Colorado. I don't think you want Lindenwood. Um, I, you don't want anybody. You don't want Chicago State. You don't want some of these other schools. So it's just like I don't. I don't know who else you're really going to add unless it's a, a Northern Sun team. And I don't think they would add them because they didn't add Augie, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there might be a, a reluctance to add these teams that are moving up from division two to division one, because there is this, this, uh, maturation process, this sit out period. I think St. Thomas is the exception because they got deep pockets and everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they are going to invest in basketball. They're building a, you know, a very expensive basketball and hockey arena. But I don't know. I just think SDSU and, and NDSU, because I think they're kind of tied at the hip. And if USD wants to come along at some point, they certainly could. But unless it makes more sense for them to go to another league, why consider going anywhere else? You have the conference tournament, the big moneymaker mm-hmm. in basketball in your backyard. There's no reason to leave right now. You are the big dogs in the conference. Yes, the dream someday might be to get to the Missouri Valley, but the Missouri Valley isn't what it's been either. You know, they've had a lot of change, a lot of new teams added. Um, like you said for football, SCSU, NDSU, they're at the top of the league. Maybe FBS makes some sense someday. It doesn't make sense right now. Um, so I think they have to stand pat. And that may frustrate people. It may worry people. But it's just the situation they're in right now. Yeah, I just wonder if it potentially opens the door for other teams to say, like, okay, is are, is this going to be a stable conference, or should we leave? Like, you know, should or you know, would Oral Roberts consider again moving on, you know, back to the Southland or to a different conference? Would Denver say, yeah, you know what, we we just need a better fit, uh, you know, in the Big Sky or in the in the WAC or something like that? You know, just I I don't know then. If you know now that one domino has fallen again, I'm not saying that Western Illinois was the glue, and now you know there's pandemonium throughout the league. But you just, I just wonder if this is going to start becoming uh, a trend. And one of the other things that this is like much 
more, it's not as of greater importance, but the Summit League was all hell-bent on getting every team into the uh, the Summit League basketball tournament. And so we added an extra day. And now with Western Illinois leaving, it's like, are you going to do that? Or are you just going to go back to the Saturday through Tuesday routine? If you do the, all nine teams in, are you going to do like eight, nine matchup at, for the women at like four and then eight, nine matchup for the men at 630? Like, Because you don't need a full day. You don't need a whole ton of time in between. I don't know how that's going to work. You know, you do this one-year experiment, you think it's great, and then all of a sudden now you're down to nine. I don't know how that's going to unfold here next March. Yeah, they have said that they're going to stick with uh, everybody making it. Um, so, yeah, they're going to have the nine teams. Um, you know, eight years ago or ten years ago, I think they were still in the arena. There was a year where, um, you know, the first-round team got a bye or some sort of situation. So, you know, we had that first day where we only had, you know, one game um, on each side. And so I guess, you know, that's maybe what you're looking at is, yeah, exactly like you said, maybe we're, you're playing at noon and six and that's it, you know, and there's separate sessions or whatever. Um, I don't know. That's, that seems to be the precedent from before. Um, I just, I, I, this conference has always been kind of a home of misfits. Mm-hmm. Look at the teams that have been in the league uh, in the time SGC's been in there. Centenary's been in it. Oakland's been in it. Southern the Utah. IPFW, I, IUPUI, yep. Southern Utah. Go down the list. Uh, they've had a lot of a lot of teams that have just, you know, they've been here. They've made it work. I'm sure there will be more teams that leave um, at some point. I, I just, you know, you look at Denver, where are you going to go? Oral Roberts has already left. Unless they're going to Missouri Valley, they're not going anywhere. Um, and maybe they will at some point. I, I you know, it's just – you know, Omaha, I guess, could be a Missouri Valley team at some point. Kansas City, they don't know what they're doing. The summit makes as much sense as anything. It's it's just really, you just shake your head, and I guess you just say, we continue to make do. Um, SDSU should feel good about where they're at, and they shouldn't be too content if they think there's an opportunity to go somewhere else. Yep. Nope, I, I agree. I just think it, it's just it's interesting uh, what what took place because I, I think it wasn't necessarily a surprise that Western was leaving but the timing of it I think maybe caught a few people off guard so that was interesting and then going back and to- I, I think it I think it just shows that like you know the major conference realignment that we know from the big leagues mm-hmm. has stopped for the time being but it never really stops in these little leagues and you know I I think um, you know, Aside from the geography, the geography wasn't even that good. Western Illinois was a hard place to get to. Yeah. But they didn't bring a whole lot to the table as far as the competitiveness of their teams. And so in that regard, I don't think you can really shed too many tears. No. I think I think it's actually a great get for the Ohio Valley because, I mean, they're struggling right now. They brought in Arkansas, Little Rock, Southern Indiana, Lindenwood. Like, that doesn't do anything for me, for that conference. And then some of the teams that you've known about from that league are not there anymore. Right, Belmont, Belmont not Murray, the State. Murray, Murray State's not in the league. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, that's not the league it's been either in the past. Yep. So, I think for them to get a team like Western Illinois, I think it helps. I think it just helps their level of competition a little more rather than bringing these Division two schools along 
Um, I think it'll help them in the grand. And we're going to see a, a great shift this year because now you have the AAC with you know UCF and and Houston and Cincinnati going to the Big Twelve. So the you know Conference USA, the AAC, they're all changing. You know the teams this year. I mean, it's going to look very different, especially for college basketball. But um, this is like the first year where we're going to see significant change to several of these conferences and a, a, a Power Five conference in the Big Twelve. Yeah, it's going to be very strange. This this Big Twelve. This, well, we're going to have one year of this kind of weird weird Big Twelve with the the additions from the American, and you're still going to have Texas and Oklahoma. So. Yeah, going to be very strange this year. And going back to the, the to the schedule, um, with what kind of started this whole deal. Um, I hate that the Vikings are playing the Eagles and 49ers in prime time. That's what I didn't want at all. <laughs> um, I hate that they aren't playing on Thanksgiving. I knew it was down to the Packers and the Vikings. I thought the Vikings made more sense. The, the, I don't know how the Packers got five prime time games. Plus a Thanksgiving game. I don't know what the NFL is thinking. This uh, they they got to be hoping that Green Bay and Jordan Love are something special. I don't see it happening. But when I look at the Vikings schedule overall right now, as I see it, eleven and six I think is as good as they can do this year. Eleven and six. Yeah, I I would say nine to ten wins for me. Um, it's a difficult schedule, but there are some openings in there to win some games, rattle off some wins. That, that first game against the Bucks, man, that's huge. They got to win that. Yes, like they, they can't afford to lose that game. Otherwise, they're potentially being, looking at being zero and two or zero and three. So, um, very interesting the way that happened. But definitely some openings in there to to see what what might shake loose. So, um, yeah, very eager to see this season unfold. I think you know there's there's some elements there with the the team that are going to be. Very interesting to watch. Obviously, contract year for Kirk. I think he'll be motivated. And this defense, in a lot of ways, they did not make many improvements. So they're just kind of banking on Brian Flores uh, to not be at Donatel and improve this uh, improve this whole operation. Well, that's what I'm banking on. I thought you know they <laughs> they got two linebackers, undrafted free agents. Uh, Andre Carter from Army. I'm very intrigued by him. I think he's going to be very good. I think he's going to make the team. And uh, I think Evan Pace Jr. from Cincinnati, another linebacker, too, that I think is going to make a, make the team. I think they'll make an impact, certainly on special teams right away. But I think you could see them <clears throat> play a role on defense as the season progresses. I, 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 I think Brian Flores is going to get a lot done. And, and remember, Lewisine didn't play last year. Uh, Booth didn't play much. Um, who's uh, Caleb Evans showed yeah. flashes. So... They have some depth. We just don't know a lot about them because they didn't play much last year. So I, I have a little, I have some confidence in what uh, Brian Flores is going to be able to do, and that offense is going to be unstoppable, regardless if Dalvin Cook's on it or not. And it's it's going to need to score, so that's that's all right too. I also like the the addition of uh, Jack Pudlesny, the kicker from Georgia. I think he could push All right, Greg all right here we go. Here I think we go. he could, I think he can push Greg Joseph. I, I really do. I, I've seen him make good, uh, you know, some lengthy field goals at Georgia. Don't be surprised if Greg Joseph gets beat out. That would be something. Let me tell you. I, just, just a thought. Just a thought on what the kicker situation might do. Uh, anything else we need to get to? 
I think we've run the gamut, man. I think so, too. I think so, too. Well, next week we'll talk Stanley Cup Final, and who knows? We might have more. uh, Maybe there'll be some more news on the Coyotes. Maybe we'll have more television right deals to discuss, uh, scheduling opportunities. We never know what's going to happen, and that's the great thing. But I always appreciate the time, my friend. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy what remains of the conference final in hockey. Thanks, Sacken. Thank you, Marcus. Marcus Traxler joining me here, Sports Block Podcast. Great conversation, um, as always. Uh, look where we expand. We got to. We went to Arizona, the Coyotes situation, and then the NFL schedules to the Big Ten, and I was like. You never know where it's going to go, and that's the, that's the beauty of it all. Uh, the, that will wrap it up for this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. You can find this podcast available on podcast.com and available on iTunes. Just search the Sports Block. Um, follow me on Twitter at ND Stacking. Marcus is on Twitter at Marcus Traxler. Travis is on Twitter at Travis Crins. Facebook, Nathan Stacking, a link to the podcast post in the middle to later part of each week. Uh, so we, we ran through a lot of stuff. The golf, uh, briefly on, on horse racing. Uh, no Triple Crown this year. Uh, basketball playoffs, baseball, so NHL, everything. That you could possibly think if we got to it here. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis and Marcus, I'm Nathan. Thanks so much for listening and have a great night. And we will talk to you tomorrow on a, or next week, I should say, on another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, everyone, and happy Memorial Day.